This week on the True Jory Podcast. The man I idolised for my entire childhood. He was the Newcastle and England captain and the all-time Premier League top goalscorer. And his name is Alan Shearer. I had the best job in the world, if you can call it a job. I'd have, I'd have, I'd have played football if I didn't get paid for it. Like, I don't think many men in Newcastle wouldn't let you sleep with our wife. Like, <laughs> it's not bad. Give us a few numbers there, will you? <laughs> I bet you've had the offers, let's be honest. Yeah. Would Neil Lennon agree with that? Oh, he deserved it. He <laughs> was stupid for headbutting my foot, wasn't he? Yeah. Did you really chin Keith Gillespie? Yes. <laughs> and he deserved it. Yeah. <laughs> and to and me, he agrees he deserved it. Really? So Bobby was... He was a genius at man management. But because you're a footballer, because you have so much money, you're expected to handle everything. Well, sometimes footballers are normal as well, you know. I was always reluctant to say how it was and be as, as, as upfront and, and critical as I should have been. Because, well, because I thought if I'm going back into football, into management, and I'm and I'm criticising left, right, and centre on the TV, and then I go into management, and you can look a bit of an idiot. So I was I always held back. He let me down. He let the club down. Um, and then I just thought it was it was my time to say a few home truths, and I did in the dressing room. Told him what I thought, told him what everyone else was thinking and saying, and that was it. I never, um, I never saw him again after that. But he just didn't come back. To no, training. I didn't want him back. Okay. It is his money, but if he doesn't want to be there, and if he doesn't want to spend, then let someone else come on in. Yeah. Let someone else take it over. How did you deal with losing such a good friend? Um, no, it was very difficult because I was with him um, the day before he did it, mm-hmm. and everything seemed fine. Bringing me prop out here because he asked us last time I seen him to show him this. This week on the True oh, Johnny wow. podcast, well, these two fellas, twenty years older, a lot less hair, yeah, still just as handsome. <laughs> what well, about you? Thanks for coming on. <laughs> Appreciate it. Look yeah. at that. Me Nana took that. She took three, and this was the only one without a thumb. Like because you know when old people take photos on the old cameras, it was a nightmare. What what's, caught, what's caught your attention there as well? What went wrong? Caught, who's gone? That Alan, was, you've gone. Oh, what? <laughs> Sorry, yeah. must have been a couple of cameras there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's nice a good picture show. though. Yeah. That's a lovely shot. Yeah, I got one. One Classic. of us, one of us looks better anyway. Yeah, I mean, you do look much better. <laughs> I, w- I was the biggest ten-year-old uh, on the planet. Yeah. I think to be honest, genuinely, you were. Oh, you were there. Yeah, I was ten yeah. years old. What I love as well is you played for Newcastle in Mm. the time when they had the best kids. That was when um, Kenny Dalglish signed his son. I remember saying his son, like, what are you? He got quite lucky to be in that. His dad, good jobs for the boys a little bit there. (laughs) We'll get on to that. Look after your son (laughs) as well. Exactly. Um, But yeah, I was coming down today and I thought to myself, I don't really know you as a bloke. Like, I've worshipped you, like most lads from Newcastle my whole life. But like, when you're on the telly, you're always talking about football. Yeah. You're always talking about what happened. So hopefully we can dig a little deep out of the Alan. Why not? Um, Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like there's a lot of footballers who they put their lives all over the papers, and that in like they're very 
they're trying to get their personality out there. You are like England captain when David Beckham was the posh and Bex and his whole family are out there. You took the complete opposite road of, you know, just keep yourself to yourself, good family man. But if your family walked past most people in the street, we wouldn't know who they were. Mm. Was that like a deliberate thing to sort of... Yeah, it was, yeah. I think um, I, I just wasn't for me, wasn't for them. I think you, you have to keep something back um, and as much as you get offered over the years then I just think it's important to keep a little bit of privacy uh, you can't you can't moan about that side of things if you're inviting everyone into your house yeah. and everyone into your holidays and that's never interested me um, and I think it's all I think it's very very important to keep one side of your of your life private anyway because it's difficult enough anyway um, they necessarily don't want the limelight yeah. um, I'm in it I enjoy it uh, I love it um, but um, I don't think the whole family should do it. You think you think when they become older, because I know you, I think your daughter's went into presenting, um, and your lads just yeah. <laughs> so funny <laughs> gonna, on Twitter and that. But that should be their choice in yeah. in their own time. Not if they want to do that uh-huh. now, then um, they're old enough. If they want to do it, they can. Uh, mm-hmm. My two daughters are twenty five and twenty three now. Um, so if they want to go down that route now, then then, then obviously you can do that. My son is is 17 and um, he's the same um, he might uh, he might do it more than more than the daughters but yeah. um, it's their own choice now what I just felt it was important dad? to keep it uh, whilst they were young to yeah. to keep that side of it private what do they think of their dad being Alan Shearer it must be quite a weird uh, it's just normal for them yeah. they've, had, they've had to uh, they've, they've grown up with that they don't um, I'm just their dad and I think that's that's what um, is good about it is that uh, when when I go home, or I, I don't see myself as someone important. I'm just a normal guy, hopefully, and, and people will see me, see me for that. I try to do normal things. Um, I don't do anything different to, to, the, to the guy in the street. I go for a pint. I go for something to eat. Um, sometimes I've, I've, I've too much to drink, and but I think that's what you have to do, mm-hmm. just to try and be as normal as possible. So that's the way my kids see me. I think. For me, growing up. Um, Oh yeah, thank you to be honest because you were a cracking role model. Like I actually thought to myself, like I could, he's a Geordie bloke, he's doing great for himself. It's possible, do you know what I mean? And um, I never set out to be a role model. Uh-huh. I never that that wasn't a conscious. I just try to do things right. I was brought up the right way. I think mm-hmm. um, my, not my, instilled in you. My dad, my mum and dad worked their arse off to uh, to to give us me and my sister everything we had. My dad. Worked in a factory from uh, from eight o'clock till five o'clock every single day, um, and I think that was that was instilled in me as in hard work, be on time, respect. So that's all I try to do. And if if that, I, I just I don't know if people see that as being a role model, and then that's fine, that's great. But I just try to be as normal as possible. I think there's something about watching a parent who uh, obviously you love struggle a bit. It's hard to forget that when you get success yourself, you mm. sort of, it, it keeps you grounded. That memory alone of don't get too above your station. Well, I know, I know who would be the first person to tell me it would be my dad if I ever did yeah. that. Um, I mean, even still now to this day, my mum still drops my dad off at the pub, <laughs> picks him up from the pub. Mm-hmm. His dinner's ready when he uh, when he uh, when he comes in from the pub, uh, as it was ready all the time when he finished work at uh, at five o'clock. So that's the way I was brought up, and that's who I am. Like one thing I realised when I started getting popular myself in Newcastle is uh, there's 
it's great because everyone, especially if you're in football, people love you and everyone wants a photo with you. Mm. And uh, I'm nowhere near as popular as you, but I'm quite well known these days. And everyone has a Alan Shearer moment. Like if, if you spot him in the street or like you're the player everyone talks about. And I started thinking when I knew this was coming, like it couldn't have been easy all the time because one thing I realised is people have some like, some people, oh, he's this, that, and he thinks he's this. And you know, like, because... Some people don't like to see people doing well for themselves, even if they are from the same area as yeah. you. Um, was it ever quite difficult at times being Newcastle is so football focused and you were a god? No. There? I had the best job in the world, if you can call it a job. I'd have, I'd have, I'd have played football if I didn't get paid for it. Mm. So to play football and be half decent at it and be recognised. I hear all the stories. Some I hear someone say, "Well, he didn't do this or he didn't do that." Mm. But you know what rumours are like in 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 Newcastle. It's um, are you aware of it though? Like when you walk into a shop or whatever, like the whole room goes like it, it is like that. I sure it must be. <laughs> no, yeah, you're aware of it, and you can see. Yeah, it's 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 quite funny, really, when you walk past someone, you can see some someone tapping someone. You watch them, and but I suppose you get uh, you, you get used to that. It's the greatest job in the world to get paid to play football. Mm-hmm. As I said, I would uh, I would have played football if I if I again I got anything. I'd have done it on a Saturday or Sunday with my mates. So to be paid for it and paid really well for it mm-hmm. is uh, is the best job in the world. It doesn't get any better than that. So there's 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 no way you can ever moan about being a, a professional footballer. The time to moan is afterwards when you your knees are knackered and your <laughs> ankles and your back and everything else. And that's the side that people perhaps don't see is that for yeah. for 20 years you're training every single day you're having injections in your ankle or your knee to get out and play but what always comes back to you is well so you should do because you're on that much money but <laughs> you would I'd still do it if I wasn't getting any money but then right. afterwards when you when you get to 36 or 47 like I am now and your knees are knackered and your, your ankles and and you struggle to uh, to walk upstairs you're feeling quite a lot these days yeah, 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 yeah. My, uh, my, my knees are shot. I can't, uh, I can't go out running on concrete or anything like that mm. because uh, my knees and ankles and back and, and everything else are uh, are all seized up. So yeah, that's the side that people don't see. So now you're a pundit. Yeah. I kind of thought like being a Newcastle player and scoring as many goals you did, no one could ever complain at you or disagree because you always delivered. But a pundit. Everyone's got an opinion, yeah. and everyone can disagree. And I know for a few years, I think now people say, "All right, you're, you're one of the best there is." But early on, you yeah. got a lot of stick. Yeah. Um, no, I, I got that. I understood that, and probably rightly so, because uh, I always thought I was going to go into management. I was pretty certain mm-hmm. uh, I was going into uh, into management, and I was always reluctant to say how it was and be as is upfront and and critical as I should have been because well because I thought if I'm going back into football into management and I'm and I'm criticizing left right and center on the TV and then I go into management and you can look a bit of an idiot so I was I always held back but then once the decision was made that the the management thing wasn't going to happen then I knuckled down worked hard uh, took advice uh, and then started to, to to get stuck into it and graft at it um, and um even I don't mind saying now I think I'm a little bit better now than I was um, when I first started so yeah. but it takes time it's 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 pretty daunting um, although you've played in front of 70-80,000 with England and 52,000 every week with Newcastle and won the Premier League and then you sit in on live TV 
knowing that you can't make a mistake you can't swear because when you're out in the pub with your mates or on the golf course or whatever you'll you'll say whatever and then but you can't do that on, on live TV once and then that's it you're finished so it's pretty nerve wracking to begin with on live TV but of course you, that's, you, you get the adrenaline rush whenever you, whatever happens when you finish football and that's probably why so many players get into trouble when they retire because I think they go ch- chasing the drug mm-hmm. chasing the that adrenaline rush as in scoring or, or walking out in the stadium or winning a game and the one thing you, as a footballer you have to understand is you're never getting that isn't, whatever you do in your life you're never getting the biggest buzz as, as, as you get on a football pitch ever again and the one good thing about live TV is it gives you that adrenaline rush not as much but it gives you something um, and I've been very fortunate to to go from playing football to be paid and now talking about football to be paid so I'm one hell of a lucky guy I'm the biggest another one of the biggest TV shows in England mm. Match of the Day well it's iconic isn't it yeah. it's that um, I mean the, the, the viewing figures for, for Match of the Day are, are just brilliant I mean in the millions you're talking five or six million over over a weekend that, mm. uh, that watches that programme I watched it as a kid couldn't wait for it as a kid my dad watched it uh, my son's exactly the same now with uh, probably turns off when I'm on it but um, <laughs> he's the same now with uh, with Match of the Day so it's such an iconic programme that it, uh, it is the best What's it like working with uh, Wrighty and Lineker particularly because they're cracking Great fun up. yeah Wrighty's, uh, Wrighty's as mad as, as everyone thinks he is probably a little bit more the, <laughs> the days are a lot shorter with Wrighty in the studio mm-hmm. than, um, than with anyone else because it's just you're just taking the piss all day really mm. you're just having a laugh and a joke and in the meantime trying to watch a little bit of football yeah. uh, added on because you, you, when you come to do the show you have so much knowledge and information about the games how do you manage to get that throughout the day do you get help and stuff like that or? no you've got to do your own research yeah. you've got to uh, you've got to know what you're talking about it's uh, a typical day for match of the day is I leave Newcastle at about 8 8.30 Saturday morning uh, get down to Manchester um to Media City and Salford about half eleven. Watch the first game coming at uh, at half twelve. Take your notes and and sit with the analyst guys. Um, watch the games coming in at three o'clock. Uh, watch the other game. Do the same. Take notes. Give it to the guys. Same again at half five, and then we go into the um, into the editing suite at at about eight o'clock for an hour or so. And you'll be in the editing suite? We're in the editing suite okay. talking through all our notes, what we've given during the day, um, what we're going to do on every game, your lines, your dots, your circles, what you what, what you intend to, so to you say. Do you hear each other and what, you, what you're going to say? Do you ever run through that with each other and say, I'll say this and then you can say that a little um, bit? No, not, not necessarily, no. Mm. It's that, that's more ad-libbing during the show mm. and then we'll finish it, finish that at about half nine, ten o'clock and then go on live at, uh, at half ten. Uh, and finish at midnight back in a car back to Newcastle home at about three o'clock in the morning but I think the big thing is, is a lot of what a lot of people say to me is oh, what it's live people think we record it at six <laughs> or seven o'clock and well it, it's it's a live program goes yeah. out at half ten finishes at midnight yeah and that shows it's a good sign if people don't realize it's live because it's that well not made mistakes then, yeah, yeah exactly. do you ever have any afters with like the lads like because I've seen you disagree with people before and uh, you famously shut your main channel down not long ago. Uh, was um, he a little bit like? Have you ever had people huffed about it afterwards? Like oh, you could have. No, not really, because yeah. that's that's your chance. I mean, that's that's what they want. The TV mm. the, 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 is is people to have a disagreement, um, to have a, a discussion on on that particular topic, whatever you're talking about. And you can give your opinion. I can give mine. It's it's you don't have to always agree in fact that's what I said they want they want people to disagree so the more chat you have or the more disagreements you have the better TV it is 
What are your notes like? So what are you making notes on? Are you predominantly looking at the strikers? Or are you no, you've got to look at everything. Team? I mean, it's, it's, it's very difficult looking when you've been doing it for, what, 11 years as I've been doing it now to, to do something different every Saturday yeah. on, a, on a different team. Um, so you've always got to try and find a different angle to what someone else is looking at, whether it's defending, whether it's set pieces or going forward or the midfielders. I think you've always, you've always got to try and find something something different to talk about because you can't keep coming out with the same stuff every Saturday night yeah and that, I guess that's it does get boring saying Crystal Palace are shit every week doesn't it <laughs> it does get boring for you apparently it's true so it's yeah. something yeah, that even on but then it's also quite interesting because obviously we've had uh, people like Dan Hardy who's a, a UFC fighter on the show and he said when he became an analyst his view of fighting uh, his knowledge got so much better mm. Did you, do you think you were originally as a, a pundit watching from a striker's perspective and then over time you've expanded your view how, how have you seen your own evolution of your no I think that's, that's, that's the easy side for me because if I don't know what I'm talking about with strikers then I shouldn't really be on the, uh, <laughs> be, on the be on the programme um, that's the easy part looking at the, at the centre forwards what runs they should or shouldn't be making or where they should be when a cross comes in or the hold up play or their touch whatever that's that's the easy side of it is, is when you start analysing defending or it's very difficult with goalkeeping because we've never been in that position uh, or different systems um, then it becomes a little bit more difficult then you've got to look in I've got to look into it a little bit more but regarding the strikers but that's that's pretty natural to me and it should be do you ever feel do you ever feel a little bit because uh, it's obviously different for every striker so you'll you'll see runs that maybe another striker wouldn't want to make mm. you know Jermaine Defoe's going to make different runs to you do you ever see yourself thinking I wish he was doing that and think wait no that's not punditry that's me saying what I would yeah do. yeah that's but then they don't. You don't mind that. You don't mind saying, "Well, this is what I would have done." Yeah. But he's very different, and I, th- I think it's you've, what you've always got to try and do is you've got to try because we can all sit back and watch TV and watch a match, and yeah. uh, and, and everyone can see it. We've got what we've got to try and do is just try and tell the viewer something that they can't see, yeah. something different, and then they go, "Oh, okay. Well, yeah, I get why you're saying that, or I didn't mm-hmm. see that, or." And that's what we've got to try and do um, every Saturday. Analysis was quite different, though, when you... I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't all that long ago. I'm talking as if it was like, you know, a hundred like years Keys, ago. Keys and Gray didn't but, have the, um, well, like the stats and, Gray, and all of that. They don't have two brain cells to rub together. <laughs> the point is that if you, if you do... Um, it, you know, back in the day, it was very much sort of, well, he had a lovely game, didn't he? He had a lovely game, Gary. Yes, it was a lovely game. <laughs> Did you ever feel that people uh, unfairly criticised you as a striker? or you? It never bothered me. No? It never bothered me one bit. I didn't... I, 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 I didn't give a shit what, what people said because mm-hmm. I knew whether I'd had a poor game or not I didn't yeah. anyone I didn't need anyone to tell me and and if they did say I was crap then you got to admit and say well okay I was yeah that's 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 part and parcel of football and there's more because of social media because there's more TV programs than ever with uh, with matches on or highlights on nowadays then if you can't handle criticism, then you're never ever going to be a, make it as a footballer. Yeah. Uh, particularly nowadays, is that it's 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 out there for everyone to to see on so many different channels, um, and you've just got to accept it. You, criticism, you know, you can't please everyone, yeah. and and certainly when you're trying to talk to different fans, it's um, forgive the pun, but it's black or white, isn't it? Yeah. It's either they're, they're the biggest fans ever. It's their club. It's it's they're their players, their manager. And if you say anything against their club, then they're going to come back at you. Yeah. It's just that's life. It was, I thought it was interesting what you were saying earlier. How you, obviously you grew up as a massive fan, as a lot of Geordie lads did mm-hmm. of, of Alan. When you were growing up, who was your? Well, I was no different. My hero was was Kevin Keegan. I stood right. on the. I went to watch his debut at uh, at St James's Park. Stood at queued up from uh, nine o'clock in the morning. 
um, was on the Gallagher end watching him when he scored um, got thrown forward like everyone else and lost all my mates in the crowd who I'd, who I'd gone with um, 12 year old I think it was 11 or 12 and it was one of my first games so Keegan was, was my hero I used to stand outside my school at Gosford Centre along the, the main road there and we knew what time he was going to come past in his car he'd come back and he'd jag you in we were all stood at the top of the school waiting for him to go by he used to give us a wave and so I, I understand how how it works do you know what I mean because as, as, I've been there as a kid I had my heroes I used to follow him so I get it now that um that, that when people say to me how much you mean to the uh, to the young kids yeah. I understand it no like lit- like I don't think many men in Newcastle would let you sleep with our wife like <laughs> it's not bad it was a few numbers there wasn't it <laughs> <laughs> I bet you've had the offers let's be honest yeah. but it's like it is it's, it's mental how like what I don't think people outside of Newcastle don't get is Arsenal have Thierry Henry uh, Man United had uh, Beckham and Ronaldo and whatever but and you were a diamond in a pile of shit and, and, and not really that <laughs> I feel similar with Stephen Gerrard that's, that's exactly what and you were ours as well you were one of us so yeah. and because you didn't leave us even though we couldn't get like it was like um a husband staying with a wife even though we didn't have sex with you do you know right. what I mean like you stayed regardless and that is like people don't forget that like do you know what I mean well I had it was it was my football club innit I was it yeah. was um, I grew up as soon as I could walk basically a ball was chucked at me and a black and white top was, was basically put on me so you have no choice yeah. as the same growing up in Liverpool I'm pretty That's sure because I lived in Liverpool for four years and it's very similar to, yeah. to what Newcastle is the people um and I had a choice to come back home and I wanted to play for my club uh, and if you give me the same decision to make tomorrow at the same age mm. I would do exactly the same because for what I've got in Newcastle what I've achieved the foundation I it was my dream it wasn't as if I was signing for a club that was playing relegation football it was a club that was, had just lost a I don't know, twelve point leader, whatever, as the year beforehand in in ninety five, ninety six season. So, um, I was going to a club that was challenging, uh, but for whatever reason, it didn't it didn't happen. But for me to wear the number nine shirt, for me to break Jackie Milburn's record, Jackie Milburn was my dad's hero, mm-hmm. and so for me to go back to my area. And in front of my parents, break my dad's hero's record, and so what he means to so many people in Newcastle. Then I would do. I would make exactly the same decision tomorrow if I if I had to. I'd, I'd believe that because I know I would have done the same if I was you. But uh, just going back to punditry, I was wondering: is there any pundit that you watch across all the channels that you think I, 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 he's my sort of favourite guy to listen to about football? No. Just yourself, and that's it. He's, <laughs> he's down to earth. Like, he's down he, to he fast forwards on when, when Ian writes chat, and he's like, "This is rubbish." Yeah, I don't listen to all that shit. Yeah. I just yeah. watch the match. <laughs> yeah. right, um, so go back. You were talking about when you were twelve years old. Yeah. Um, at what point did you realise? You know, I'm pretty good at football. I thought I was pretty good then, um, mm. and then I got the offer to go down to Southampton as a thirteen-year-old. Uh, was there, was, Jack there, was, there was an old fella called who sadly is no longer with us yeah. um, passed away a few years ago he went uh, and asked my parents uh, after a it was either a city game or a boys club game I like the look of your son I would like to uh, invite him down to uh, down to Southampton for a trial mm-hmm. and typical of my, my parents said well why are you asking us for go and ask him 
So he did, and then uh, myself and six or seven of us um, went down to Southampton for a trial in one of the school holidays, um, and I loved it. It was brilliant. But then when I got down there, because I was probably the best in my school, maybe the best at the boys' club, when I got down there, then everyone from around the country came together, and I thought, I'm not as good as I thought I was mm-hmm. here, and so I had to step up a bit. Um, signed schoolboy forms for Southampton at 14, which you could do then, um, 14 to, to 16, and then was, um, was on the brink. And I remember uh, there was a game that we had one of the last games down in Southampton as a 15-year-old. I scored a hat-trick in the very, one of the very last games, which I think made the decision for Southampton to ask me to sign um, as an apprentice. Wow which meant I had to leave home at 15 and go and live in Southampton on my own. And that was probably the one of the best decisions I ever made in my career. Um, got away from everything being done for me, got away from some of my mates who were um, wrong-uns. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, had to grow up, had to live on my own. I, well, I was in digs. That's young though, wasn't it? 15. Yeah. To grow up most yeah, people. I, I know people who are 35 still living with their parents. <laughs> you know well, that, I mean? that helped me yeah. sort of <laughs> be the way I was. And, and I remember pulling away out the station, Central Station, and my mum and dad standing on the platform waving. I can see my mum getting upset, and I'm thinking, geez, am I doing the right thing here? Mm-hmm. Um, but it was, it was one of the best decisions I ever made because. It wasn't as if I could come home every weekend because we couldn't afford the train fare and we were only on 25 quid a week on a YTS scheme. Um, we got a bus pass, but I didn't used to get the, uh, the the pass. I used to go and collect the money because I only lived half a mile from the Dell as it was in, mm-hmm. in Southampton, so I only had to walk. So that was an extra few quid for me. But I couldn't jump on the train or the car or whatever and come home because I was, I was homesick. So I had to grow up and grow up pretty fast and it, it worked for me. It was a great decision. But it's a good living with all the lads. I, I imagine it would be like being in the army a little bit. Well, I lived on, I lived on my own and with another family uh, to begin with for about a year. And then another guy um, from Darlington, Neil Madison, um, he came to live in, uh, in Diggs with me as well. And we had such we had we had a great laugh. It was it was brilliant. As I said, we only lived half a mile around the corner from the ground, so we used to walk in the mornings. But those were the days and the apprenticeships where you had to clean the toilets, the stands, the boots. You weren't allowed in the first team dressing room until you were actually you either cleaning it or you were in there because you were playing. And that gave us a great um, it's a great incentive for us to try and get in there. And and they did things right at Southampton and with their record over the years. Uh, long before me that their record of bringing kids through even now is, is magnificent Do you think leaving Newcastle and Southampton uh, helped you technically as a footballer as well? Yeah definitely without yeah. a doubt because um, we had my manager down there at the time was a guy called Chris Nickel. he gave me my uh, he gave you my, my debut at 17 um, we used to work so so hard mm-hmm. uh, and a guy in the youth team was Dave Merrington he was a youth team manager training every single day morning and afternoon and that was that was the life that I wanted that was the life that uh, I saw for myself to be honest I haven't got a clue what I would have done if I hadn't have been a footballer I just put all my eggs into one basket and hoped and prayed that I'd, that I'd be a footballer <laughs> Thankfully, it worked. <laughs> <A lot laughs> YouTube wasn't around back then, so it wasn't an easy. <laughs> a lot of successful people we've interviewed have that mentality of one egg, one basket, and I'm going to obsess over this. Yeah. Would you say you were quite obsessive at that time? It was the only thing that I ever did. It was oh. uh, I, I didn't like school. I only went to school because of my mates. Um, I had a great attendance record. <laughs> that was the only good thing about my um, about mm. my school report was my attendance record. Um, probably because of that was 
put in from your, from my dad hasn't been on time not missing a day I mean when I was poorly at home my mum and dad used to kick me out of the bed and said get yourself into school so oh. that um, yeah it was that was that was why yeah definitely I was obsessed with it it's finish school go out and play football till it was dark and then used to get uh, dragged into the house and and the next day the same day was, was every day you know you said uh, Southampton didn't meet you like clean the boots and the toilets and everything uh, what is it like for a 16 year old lad in like the Newcastle thing now like now, is, is that di- totally different it's totally different yeah they have uh, they have they, they have guys who clean the boots they have guys who do the dressing rooms they're not allowed to do that now that was under the old YTS scheme which I think is a great shame you know because although it was pretty shitty at the time and horrible um, it didn't off teach you a little bit of respect mm. absolutely um, and looking back when you get to 24, 25 you look back and you think that was actually good for me well, that yeah, was absolutely my awesome. first job I was working in a butcher and I was cleaning like uh, like freezers and stuff and blood off yeah. the walls but like now I'm so grateful to not have to do that and be but it's character building yeah. whereas now it does feel like a lot of young footballers have got a, an entitled attitude if there's one if there was one thing I could Change about football, it would be that it would be to start to start that all over again mm-hmm. to get the kids to do all the jobs, clean the boots, etc. But they're not allowed to do it now. I think the government has stopped it, and <laughs> they're probably on so much money now at sixteen as well that their agents wouldn't allow them. And that, that I think, that is part and one, so of, like, one of the problems, part and parcel, why we're perhaps not bringing up uh, bringing up kids in through the football through the ranks as many as we should be. It is interesting because they say also in uh, certain football clubs now they they want to take their youngsters to places that they think aren't as privileged and make the players play those players so mm. they feel what it's like to be and they have to make their own way there and those sorts of things and apparently the players just get lost yeah. and like people can't make their own way there. It's so bizarre. Too much too soon is, is I mean You've got you've got to have something to strive for. You've got to be hungry and eager and keen and 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 want to do everything you can to get to a certain point. Whereas a lot of the players nowadays have too much money, too young. There's, there's no incentive there for them. So they're, you they're millionaires already by the time they're 18. Then where did they go from that? Yeah. Or well, you've got a lot of money, way more than all your mates. Well, you always if you're in the footballing world as a young kid, you always you. you, you Particularly if you're a Premier League club, then you're always going to have more than your mates. Yeah. But then that's fine. But then there comes a time where you've got to keep the hunger and the drive and the desire. Whereas if if already you've got stacks and stacks of money at 18 and 19, then where do you get your drive from and your and your, your desire and your hunger to go that extra the mile? The isn't there. Like that, I have to yeah. succeed. Is Hmm. like Theo Walcott for me is a classic example of someone who literally had money thrown at him from being 16, 17 and you could argue hasn't delivered anywhere near what he could have done when he was promised as the new Thierry Henry hmm. um, sort of, I mean I guess it's difficult to say where he could have gone I'm not having to work in person yeah. using it as an excuse you know he, to be fair he hasn't had the best of luck but just saying like maybe if you said until 18 years old you can't earn any more of that like not salary cap it permanently but to 18 I, I actually think the salary cap in sports isn't the worst oh, unle- yeah. oh unless it's it's put in a trust uh, the, the, yeah. the, the FA or the PFA or mm-hmm. whoever can put it into a trust so you can get it at a, at a, at a later date when you're a little bit more responsible do you, and so at what point do you think because you say you didn't you, you realised you maybe weren't as a, you know the, the best player in the academy but mm. what point did you begin to pull away and become the Alan Shearer that I never thought I was ever the best and that's what kept me going I always wanted to to, to, to get there um, and I wasn't the best even I mean I, I was lucky enough I scored a hat-trick uh, on my debut at yeah. 17 for Southampton against Arsenal 
and the next day the next Sunday morning the manager Chris Nickel had me in cleaning the boots cleaning the dressing room yeah. um, hoovering up cleaning the, clean the, clean the toilets yeah back down I love how you say, I love you say uh, lucky to Oops. score a hat trick what, 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 what luck you just got three goals well you always whatever, in whatever work of life you need, you need a little bit of luck yeah um, but I wasn't the best technically at that age right. but I, what I was the best at was working hard mm-hmm. and being on time and giving everything and that's why I got to where I did is that I was determined I was hungry and I worked my arse off to get where I, where I got to uh, whereas some players might have been happy with what they achieved then I wanted to get better and better and better and I wasn't uh, wasn't the best at 17, 18, 19 but I, what I lacked in uh, in a touch or heading or shooting or whatever then I was determined to work hard to make myself and I remember Dave Merrington my youth coach at Southampton saying to me throughout your career you're going to hear someone say to you you've got to work on your left foot and he used to say to me you make sure your right foot's unstoppable so when they're trying to put you onto your left foot still go on your right and make your right foot deadly mm-hmm. and I always remember that and I worked and I worked and I worked and I worked a little bit more to, to make my right foot as it was and um, I thought it was great advice mm. Is that some of the best advice you've had do you think yeah? Uh, certainly in my younger days at, uh, at Southampton yeah um, I was able to take uh, everything in and listen uh, but the, the, the most important thing is, is hard work and graft and wanting to do it wanting to get up when it's pissing down the rain in the morning or wanting to, to stay behind when everyone's gone home um, mm-hmm. or and that's that's probably how I was able to advance a little bit more than others because I was prepared to work hard and go the extra mile it's it's funny because uh, uh, the whole time I was thinking how would that feel as a, a young kid to be a 17 year old making your debut for a team like Southampton mm. Do you do you remember what that was like? That, that feeling I of being told, well, I didn't. I didn't. Uh, I was in the squad, um, and I didn't find out I, I was playing until midday right. uh, on the Saturday. Danny Wallace at the time, who was at Southampton, failed a fitness test Saturday morning, and then um, Chris Nickel came to me at I don't know half eleven, twelve o'clock, and said, "You're in. You're playing." And of course, my parents didn't have time to get from Newcastle to yeah. Southampton. So I was I was basically on my own. I remember going to the hotel having pre-match meal, um, and my first pre-match meal was fillet steak. The guy came along, "What do you want?" <laughs> and I said, "A fillet steak." And they all looked at me. And the only reason I said it was because I never had it before. Anyway, I couldn't afford <laughs> it. Love it. Uh, so um, so yeah, that was my first ever pre-match meal because it's too expensive I to buy at a restaurant. I just thought if, it, there. if the club's paying for it I'm going to have it from a pre match so I had fillet steak yeah. well, bangs a hat rig and fillet steak <laughs> yeah, exactly yeah. fillet steak every and, and Arsenal were the defending champions that season as well Arsenal they? were a, uh, were a decent team then mm-hmm. yeah One so so yeah it was uh, it was a great day I mean to score hat trick I made it hard for myself in one way because Everyone expected that week in, week out. I never scored again after that game that season. Wow! I wow. went. Uh, that was April, so I went all the way till the uh, to the middle or back end of May and never scored another goal. Did that you season. feel the pressure after that? Yeah, I did. I felt it was difficult. Yeah, um, because everyone was looking at me. Everyone knew who I was. Um, albeit Southampton's a relatively small area. Come when you look at the uh, the football club, but uh, it was difficult and found the next season tough as well. Didn't score a lot of goals then. Um, the same thing happened to Harry Kane a little bit. Like um, he sort of didn't hit the ground running straight away. Well, he's had to do with the hardware. Exactly. I think that's one of the things that uh, that I like about him is that he's had nothing on a plate. It's not nothing's been given to him easy. He, he 
has had to work for everything. He's had to go out on loan. He's had to. He hasn't. Uh, he hasn't. So there you are. There's your first team. You're going to play every single week. He's had to go and graft and work, and it didn't work for him at the beginning. Mm. Um, in fact, it's only just worked for him um, the last what was it three years, three and a mm. half years now. So, but the success he's having now deserves it because he's had to go out and graft on loan. It, it, that's interesting because actually it's Pochettino that's given him that opportunity absolutely Pochettino doesn't loan out young mm. players that he thinks have promised did you have anyone like that who had a particular faith in you? Um, well then, then after the season after that that was my first the season that I had um, with Southampton 91-92 was the first season that I was a regular goal scorer that I got yeah. into the uh, into the 20s for uh, for Southampton I was playing England under 21s uh, and Ray Harford who was the coach at the time at Blackburn was the England under 21 coach and manager so he knew um, what uh, who I was what I was about and then um, that's when Blackburn came in for me in that uh, summer of um, of 1992 just after I made my debut I made my debut for England February 92 and then left that uh, that summer you had other offers yeah I had a few offers um, I got a call from Kenny Daglish at Blackburn uh, and he was Jack Walker Ray Harford under 21s and of course Kenny uh, I went to meet them uh, and it was they were brilliant Kenny they had great plans and Jack was a very wealthy guy very successful businessman he was the owner of Blackburn mm-hmm. and I just thought with Kenny with Ray and with Jack that it was going to be pretty powerful at Blackburn and I went to meet them on the Monday or Tuesday and it, they, they told me everything I wanted to hear and I said give me three or four days I'll give you an answer by the uh, by the end of the week um, and then I got a call from uh, from a representative of Manchester United saying that uh, we're interested in you I said well I've promised to give Blackburn an answer um, by the end of the week I'd love to come and talk to you mm-hmm. um, and they said well because I think they were PLC they had to go and borrow the money right. and I said well if you want me that much then you'll you'll um, get the money somehow and then you'll make a decision on me and I never heard anything back from them so I gave the answer to Blackburn a yes and then I, I went to sign That was a British record as well wasn't it? Big British, money. British record transfer fee yeah I think it was 3.6 million I think something like that yeah. what, How did that feel having so much because that is the first point of your life I guess where you've heard that kind of figures mm. involving you yeah. and now the pressure's really on And also knowing that it's Kenny Dalglish that said spend 3.6 million on yeah. him because we know Kenny Dalglish now as an, an, older state, an elder statesman of the game sorry you're standing on my mic and it's actually pulling me sorry dude. Um, the, so we know Kenny Dalglish as an elder statesman of the game now and you yeah. know we've seen his second time at Liverpool this generation we've seen that but at that time that was Kenny Dalglish best player in the world at one point yeah one of the best managers in the world having played champagne football and he's yeah. coming to you mm. having managed Ian Rush yeah, some oh, of the yeah. best strikers of all no, time was, saying um, you're mine it. I loved it I thought uh, I thought wow if someone's stupid enough to pay that amount of money for me then um, that's their problem um, I loved the I enjoyed it I mean I hear people talk about the pressure of the world's most expensive fee or Britain's most expensive player but I loved it I thought if, if wow if someone's prepared to pay that money yeah. for me little old Al from Newcastle who just works hard and tries hard and scores the odd that's faith isn't it that's the ultimate faith because it's putting your money where your mouth is brilliant and then uh, 
No, it was. I I enjoyed that pressure. Is it not really pressure? Is it? Is it's going back to being paid for something you you love doing? I guess it's how you see it, isn't it? Like because some people would see that as intense pressure. Other people, you pressure's like you say, pressure's with tires, isn't it? That's all. That's what, <laughs> that's what I used to uh, to see. And then again, the same thing happened at uh, when I when I was leaving Blackburn, then the world's most expensive player, yeah. Yeah. going for uh, for fifteen million quid. Um, I just thought, wow, I'm the world's most expensive footballer. I used to kick a, a ball around in Park Avenue in Gosforth. Yeah. Brilliant. The thing is, in, in Blackburn, you hit the ground running, you're yeah. smashing them in, uh, but you got your first big injury in mm. Blackburn. What people do forget when they compare you to Wayne Rooney is, I often remind people, <laughs> Wayne Rooney started at 16 in the Premier League, you like, were like 21 and you had like three major injuries. Yeah. Um, what was it like coming back from that? ACL. Well, I had, it was. I mean, I was devastated because I had uh, such a great start to, to life at Blackburn. I mean, I was scoring goals for fun. I think mm. I had 22 goals. Um, I signed in the middle of August, and then I did my uh, cruciate ACL on Boxing Day. I had 22 goals from August to uh, to Boxing Day, and then that's it. Bang! Uh, I'm out for the next seven or eight months. Mm. Torn cruciate ligament. Uh, I tried to they, first of all they diagnosed it with a, it was a cartilage problem and it wasn't too serious I tried to come back and I came back in a game for 20 minutes and my knee collapsed and then that was it wow. I always remember the day because I went down with the with the, um, with the physio uh, at uh, at the time Paul Ferris and the two of us and we had the operation on for February the 14th Valentine's Day and me and my mate the physio Paul Ferris are in this hotel together yeah and I'm I'm, uh, I'm going in for operation the next day and I said I've got to have a couple of beers before <laughs> I go in for operation so we're sat together in a barn and um, that's why I always remember that, that day and then from February um, yeah I was out for about seven months so it was tough it was really tough because as I said things were, were great but I had a great medical team. Um, the, the the surgeon was was, was great guy uh, down in Cambridge called uh, Doctor David Dandy. Um, and I remember because they were struggling to find out what the injury was because it had been four or five weeks for the to get the diagnosis. And the surgeon, this guy, this surgeon, and I remember walking in and barely my trousers are hardly at the ground, and he sort of said you've ruptured your ACL you're going to be out for six to seven months don't worry you'll be as good as new by the time we get you back it'll be a successful operation and it, I was meant to be in, in hospital for two days and then just as I was about to leave the hospital in Cambridge after the operation I felt uh, I felt terrible I got an infection in my leg so I was in the hospital for wow. two weeks so it wasn't the easy it wasn't the easy uh, start of rehabilitation but I got there worked hard and then the question was, was he going to be as good as he, he yeah. was before the injury? And then the more people asked, then it was like, okay, great, keep asking. And then that sort of spurred me on to, uh, to, to do that. And I was young enough also to, I didn't really lose any pace um, yeah. because, of, because of that injury. It was only in the latter stages that I was, with a serious injury, that I mm-hmm. began to lose a yard of pace. But after that, I just, I felt great. And it was, Kenny was brilliant at that time because I was itching to get back in the, uh, in the team. And I, I uh, was, I thought I was ready come the end of August, but he kept putting me back and put me on his sub for ten minutes for half an hour, and then he, um, my first goal back was ironically at uh, St James's Park when I came on as a sub for Blackburn mm. um, against Newcastle, and then uh, scored. I got hammered off all my mates because they were in the <laughs> Gallagher yeah. end. Um, you can then, pick them out when you're down there. Yeah, yeah. I could see them all. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, that was it. I was back to scoring goals again, and it was fine. And, uh, and 
I've never had a problem with that knee to that to, to this day. Mm. So that Blackburn team, or, or people nowadays think of Leicester as the ultimate underdogs, but that Blackburn team at the yeah. time was the ultimate underdogs of that era. Yeah, like money ball. Uh, yeah, and you had like real characters, yeah, in, like great. Colin Hendry, yeah. and like he's iconic. In like we had a uh, we had a brilliant uh, team spirit in yeah. that uh, in that. That, that squad Tim Sherwood Colin Henry mm-hmm. Tim Flowers uh, David Batty Wilcox Ripley it was a system designed for a centre forward to score goals mm-hmm. two two great wingers in uh, Ripley and Wilcox and all that they were ever told to do was get balls into the box and that was just music to my ears yeah. and it was a great system to play in and it was it was just designed to score goals and for Blackburn to come in to the Premier League like they did uh, and take on the big boys of Arsenal, Liverpool, Man United, Chelsea, all these, and beat them, and beat them to the Premier League. Mm-hmm. And the difference between Blackburn and Leicester is that everyone knew we were coming, Blackburn. There was We'd spent money, um, uh, but like Man United, like Liverpool, like all the bigger clubs, they, they all spend money to it's get where up. they... And, and, and they're not as criticised as much as Blackburn were then. And I said, well, Blackburn bought the title. Well, who doesn't? Yeah. And the difference between um, Leicester and Blackburn, I think, was everyone knew we were coming. No one saw Leicester coming at all. Mm-hmm. Leicester just that was got on a roll at the beginning of the season and it was like a snowball effect. No one could stop them. And once yeah. they started, they, they, it was it was just incredible. So and I think that was the the difference. But for clubs wise, the, the stature and yeah, probably the same size, and it was it was a miracle as well. And obviously, you had Kenny Dalglish, which means a lot of people were looking at you because he was he was a very yeah. Successful Kenny manager. had already been successful at Liverpool as, uh, as as manager. I think he'd done the double as manager at uh, at, at Liverpool, <laughs> um, and he was brilliant. He was a great guy. Still is to this day. What kind of manager was he? Because you know they say some are tactical, some are man managers. At the, he was. He never. He never did. Or he very rarely did any coaching. He was a manager. He had Ray Harford to do all of his, mm-hmm. uh, to do all of his coaching. And Ray was brilliant at mm-hmm. coaching. He was a genius at that. Um, but then, of course, we won the league, and then Kenny left. Kenny went into the director of football role. When it was that sort of changed things at, uh, at Blackburn, because then Ray Harford took over uh, Kenny. And the big mistake that Ray made is is that we didn't sign any players when we won the league. Mm-hmm. He thought it was. With him being as honest as he is, he thought he would give that team the chance to do that all again. Right. Whereas the mistake, you, what you have to do is, is you have to sign, you have to get bigger and better. And didn't Zidane come out of the training ground? It was uh, there was talk of Zidane and uh, Christoph Dugary coming wow. and signing for uh, for Blackburn, but um, I'm not even sure he got as far as the training ground. To be honest, it, uh, he might have got into Blackburn and turned around. <laughs> But, uh, oh, we, got, we got we uh, got it was a disappointing season and because yeah. of that was one of the reasons that we didn't sign in and I think we finished fifth or sixth or something like that then yeah. I, then that was the time for me to um, to to think about moving because other clubs were starting to, to circulate and come in for me what was it like to finally win the Premier League title though um, um, well we nearly threw it away didn't we that yeah. was um, close at the end there I mean, we were we were we were sat at the top of the league, and United were chasing us, and Fergie was putting the pressure on us as he as he as he always used to do. Um, and then we went to Anfield. Uh, they needed to win. Man United needed to oh. win at West Ham, uh, and we uh, well, I think we needed just a point to win the league. And of course, um, I think we went one nil up. I yes. scored, and then. We were we were shitting ourselves basically. <laughs> we were really nervous, um, and you could tell 
despite going one nil up, Liverpool got one back, and then they scored to go two one up. Yeah. And we're thinking, oh, I'm thinking. Oh, Tim Flowers, uh, I've seen an interview him. Yeah. I thought as soon as it went one one, we we'd done it. We're finished. Yeah. But I was, you're looking around, you know, because it's a real weird atmosphere because we're in Anfield. And even the Liverpool players don't want Man United to win the league. Yeah. And they know if they beat us, they're given a great chance to Man United, who are at West Ham, to win the league. But, um, and then all of a sudden, we just see all the Blackburn fans go mad. And I see um, Kenny and Ray hugging on the touchline. And I thought, thank God for that. We've, mm. we've won it. United haven't, uh, haven't beaten um, West Ham, and, and the title was ours. So mm. we had a hell of a few days. I know that. You were quite, a, um, I, I've heard a lot of interesting stories about you as a squad. Uh, quite, Mischievous, maybe is the way to put it. I've heard a hammer story on the coach. There was a oh, hammer right, on the coach. The, uh, yeah, oh, that, I mean that was—I don't know—that was ridiculous. I wasn't part of that. I was on the table. Of course beforehand. not. Of course not. Yeah, <laughs> we had uh, it was David Batty, Tim Sherwood, Mike Newell. I think it was Tim Flowers were the other one. Is the other little hammers to break the windows in case of emergency? Yeah. Well, it was someone's bright idea at the back of the bus to tap the window, but every player had to tap it a little bit harder. <laughs> I know, child is stupid. And then, of course, we're going along the motorway one day on the way to a game, and it's getting harder and harder. And, and I'm looking back at the guys, and then all of a sudden, of course, the window smashes. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and to this day, I think the lads, well, I know the lads, what they said to Kenny, they're all as if they're shocked. Goodness me, what happened there? It was like a, so a, a rock must have hit the window or something. And I just, football hooligans. <laughs> yeah. Quickly put the hammer yeah. back in to where, it, to, to where it was, and Kenny knew nothing. Kenny thought it was a chip and it had cracked, and sure. we were just going along the motorway nicely. Yeah. So yeah. stupid, I know. What was that? That was quite a dressing room to be a part of. Though, wasn't it? it was great yeah we had that's what sort of got us through in the end was the team spirit I yeah. mean when you when you can't compare some of the players that we had in our team to the to the likes at Man United or, or Chelsea or wherever then um, it was an incredible achievement and that's what got us through in the end team mm. spirit and hard work so then you end up going back to Newcastle uh, that, that was after Euro 96 mm. now for me uh, I sort of gotten into football about a year before Euro 96 so I, I was like Hey, it's been a Newcastle fans pretty yeah. good, <laughs> and then you're in '86. I was on like, he's my wow. favourite player. Him yeah, yeah. and Andy's from Newcastle. Wow. We're signing them. Yeah, fantastic. <laughs> um, what was it like being a part of Euro '96? Because that for me was the best England team I've ever seen. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was brilliant to uh, to be part of. But it was difficult in a way leading up to it because although I was scoring goals for fun, still for Blackburn, mm-hmm. I hadn't scored for England for nearly two years. I think it was. Uh, I think it was about 12 games and so there were so many calls for me to be left out of that team Euro 96 and other strikers were doing well like Les Ferdinand Robbie Fowler Robbie Fowler uh, Collymore uh, uh, Matt Letizia David Mm -hmm. Hurst Andy Cole Chris Sutton so you you had all these guys who were scoring goals um, who were putting pressure on me and I hadn't scored for England but uh, what what happened was is that we went on on the um Infamous trip to um, China and Hong Kong. <laughs> and Is that the one in the newspaper where I think there's like Gaza on yeah, the front of the paper? Oh, yeah, it looked mental. I was in there, but I was too clever because I seen people taking pictures mm. and I sloped off around the back. <laughs> um, <clears throat> Terry Venables. Before we went to China and Hong Kong, we had to do three games um, pre Euro '96 friendly games, and he said to me, "Whatever happens in between now and the tournament starting." you will be my number one centre forward, you will start the first game. And I thought, wow, for the manager to have that much faith in me and put that much trust in me, I've got to repay this guy. Um, And he said, once you start, then the rest is up to you. 
<clears throat> and then we did what we did in Hong Kong and China with a dentist chair and everything else and we got hammered front pages back pages oh. and deservedly so we had to perform whose idea was that was there anyone who was the instigator the dentist chair um, just going out and getting that well, yeah it was just it was a team thing is that we we all, we all said when we were out we had a we had a curfew I think it was about midnight or one o'clock mm. in the morning and everyone sort of looked at each other and thought well if one goes back we all have to go mm. if we all stay then the manager can't really do anything so it was that sort of mentality and yeah we let the manager down and gambled a bit and the gamble backfired and of course, the rip shirts were all over the front pages of the of the newspapers, um, and it was it was madness. And then that sort of pulled us together as a squad because we got battered, and rightly so. But we stuck together, we gelled as a team. It was like a siege team. mentality. It was, yeah. When he says they got battered, he means in the press. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I just want to make that clear. Yeah, yeah the, the, the press were hammering us, and mm-hmm. rightly so. And that sort of helped us in a way because we went into the first game. It wasn't a great result. Luckily, I scored in the first game, Switzerland we got a draw and then it was just gathering momentum great atmosphere then we beat Scotland 2-0 uh, it was one of those tournaments that tournament though like football's coming home and yeah like, it was great the yeah. fact that you're six years at Wembley and all that it was I don't know I don't think any tournament's ever felt the same since we, then. we weren't aware of the uh, of the atmosphere really because we were locked away in the hotel in yeah. our hotel in, uh, in Burnham Beaches it was and it wasn't until one afternoon where we had the afternoon off <clears throat> and Terry Venable said to us just go out for a walk out of the hotel and we went out of the hotel and walked into little little Burnham and it was just madness this little yeah. village it was there was thousands of people out there and we couldn't wow. go anywhere and we thought wow the, the country's kicking off here it's brilliant yeah. And then, of course, that's when we got a real feel for that there's something good, something special going on here in '96. In and then that uh, Holland game, when that was probably the best atmosphere that I've ever played in. Mm-hmm. Um, and to beat Holland 4 was, it was an incredible game. Uh, I got two, Teddy got two, I think, as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it was just incredible, it was brilliant. When I look back at that team, I think what, what's different from that team to a lot of other England teams was there were so many leaders. Yeah and it felt like you could really rely on so many of these blokes to come in and put a decent performance in and not be afraid to tell someone what's going wrong and what, what they should be doing yeah I think that, that that when you look at the England team now to the England team then in 96 I think that's the probably the big difference or one of the big differences is that there's so many captains in that yeah. 96 team mm-hmm. uh, myself Teddy Tony Adams Gareth Southgate David Seaman Paul Innes Gary Neville um, and I've probably forgot two or three. There others. was a lot of people who would stand up. All those, all those, all those guys were pretty. And D- David uh, Platt. Yeah. Uh, was and Seaman one. was like a seasoned pro mm. as well. Yeah, that's right. So there was there was a lot of leaders in that team. Mm. A lot yeah. of captains um, for their teams also. Um, I mean, David Beckham isn't getting made captain in that side. Like, like <laughs> let's be honest. Do you know what I mean? Um, great. Hair. It was a great, great team spirit. It was great. It was a great month. It mm. was just incredible. Yeah, in a court. But you know what happened? Penalties and. One of those things. One of those things. You got yeah. the golden boot, though. So I got the golden boot. I remember because we got knocked out, obviously in the in the semi final uh, against uh, against Germany, and uh, Germany were in the final. Um, and I think it was I can't remember the centre. I'm not sure it was Klinsmann or not. But I was I was sat at home watching the final, thinking 
because if their centre forward got two goals he would have beaten me to the golden boot so I'm thinking I don't care if you win just don't get two goals yeah. let me get the golden boot but thankfully it was uh, I got it yes after not scoring for two years and 12 games and then to end up yeah. tournaments top scorer was um, was pretty special because you're still heroes in many ways I know it was because of the tragedy of the whole exactly yeah. winning um, and, and for me it was that Gaza goal against Scotland, Scotland yeah. I, I, when I think of that tournament I think of you getting the goal and that goal yeah. and uh, obviously the, the celebration yeah. what was it like playing with Gaza because you're both was, from uh, the north and he was he was a genius as a player brilliant um, but god he was mad he was an absolute fruitcake and great fun I mean a month was enough with him mm-hmm. for the guys that didn't have to <laughs> full on, just spend their team locked in a hotel as well right? yeah I know locked yeah. in a hotel a month was definitely enough yeah, yeah. because of the practical jokes he used to go into your he used to wake up in the morning and he'd put your pants on he had deep heat in your pants and it was like he'd been in your room and sneaked in your room before and trashed your room and it was just it was yeah it was it was it was great good fun at the time but a month was definitely enough spending a month with Gaza is there a more talented player that in, from England no I don't Ever? think so I don't think so he yeah. was uh, he was he was just brilliant what he could do with um, with the football uh-huh. uh, he was he was brilliant and of course he's he's one of the guys that has suffered really from yeah. from not having the buzz of yeah. football to go into training to matches and what have you and it's um, it's a shame to see him in the uh, in the way he is at, uh, at times because some people I guess just aren't cut out to be for the limelight like you can be given all of this natural talent but mentally you might not be prepared for whatever everything's going to come with it you did an interview with him recently which I thought was really great mm. uh, the questions and he seemed a better version of himself than he has been in the last yeah. few years but he still he still has his ups and downs mm. he has his good days he has his, uh, his his bad days obviously but he's genuine and he would give you and that's Part, that's been part of his problem over the years is that he'd give you his last penny mm. he'd rather he'd rather someone else have it than, than him and, and that has been an issue for him over, mm-hmm. over the uh, over the years but because you're a footballer because you have so much money you're expected to handle everything well sometimes footballers are normal as well you know and that that is is, is an area where I think football can improve because a lot of footballers and I mean a lot of footballers come from a um, background where the parents have had no money they've been brought up on council estates and they've had nothing else but football similar to myself um, born in a council house raised in a council house not a great area um, and then all of a sudden because you're good at football at 16 or 17 and you get to 21 you should be able to talk in front of millions mm-hmm. you should be t- be able to um, be eloquent in front of a camera you, uh, if you're single then you can't do anything wrong I mean come on it's, it's I'm amazed it's not worse I mean if I was a footballer the press would have a field there on me like, <laughs> well, yeah, I swear to God man. Yeah. I mean I'm hoping I don't get too much more popular to be honest can you just keep it keep it about just it's quite nice keep, where it is isn't yeah, it yeah, you know what I mean yeah but that, that must uh, what I find quite interesting about you is people don't they don't know a lot about you as a person we said this earlier good but obviously but, yeah exactly <laughs> so, so thanks for coming up but, um, you, but you do build up very close relationships with people behind the scenes because everyone that you speak to I've told a number of people who were oh, getting on the show he's a great guy really great guy you must have built up great bonds with people like Gaza mm. and your teammates behind the scenes because obviously you're not private with them you're actually yeah. quite close with those guys what was that like having that sort of 
brotherhood with someone well, like was, what what happened is that I went to um, when I went to Blackburn Kenny had the Kenny Daglish had the same sort of personality as that yeah. everyone told me what a great guy he was but yeah. you'd see this guy uh, on the TV or listening to him on radio deadpan and he wouldn't yeah. give anything away so I spent four years with Kenny so I blame all that you learned it no I no one likes to laugh and a joke more than I do yeah. um no one likes a pint more than I do going out with your mates going away uh, to play golf on golfing trips with the lads um, you went out on the piss with Chris uh, was it Platt um, David Platt in his mind he's going which time <laughs> which one and, and yeah. I read your book because I remember you released a book years ago I mean I bought everything that was going <laughs> to be honest um, he's got a face with your plate on, uh, a plate with your face on he, he, he was someone you, you enjoyed a night out with wasn't he well he was uh, when I went it was abroad uh, I think it was in like Italy or somewhere the yeah, story yeah all his contacts were in, uh, in Italy <laughs> he knew where he could take us and uh-huh. no one could, uh, would find out where we were in a bar and what have mm-hmm. you but I when my, one of my first England trips was that we used to room together yeah. um, when when we went away with England then so in 92 I was sort of put in the in a chair in a room with, with David Platt mm. so that's how we sort of got to, uh, to to know each other and of course he had a great career both in England and in Italy and what was that like being with Platt Would you, were you happy to be paired with him or did you sort of want to be paired who did you want to be paired no, with I was fine no we got on uh, we got on fine he was uh, it was good he was um, he obviously captained England also yeah. um, we also we also had uh, shared the same agent um, right who basically we'd, we weren't we were taught not to say anything we weren't allowed to give our phone numbers our emails and kept everything very very private so mm-hmm. not to say anything to the press so that's probably one of the reasons also okay so after Euro 96 the bidding war begins everyone wants Alan Shearer somehow he ends up in Newcastle luckily one of the men who made that happen mm-hmm. was Freddie Shepard who sadly just passed away and yeah. uh, he also was at your statue unveiling and yeah. it's been a great friend over the years can you tell us what he was like he was brilliant um, great guy um, honest hard working from Newcastle yeah. successful not only um, as the chairman of Newcastle United but his other businesses also he just loved the era. He loved the football club um, and his passion and hunger for it to, 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 for everyone to look at Newcastle and love Newcastle and feel a part of mm. Newcastle. And that's that's what he wanted. Um, that was when I first met him. When I was meeting um, the Newcastle top brass to to have discussions of whether to to come back home or go elsewhere or stay at Blackburn. Um, it felt like there was ambition when he was at the yeah. charge as opposed to now where it just feels like God I mean let's just hope we don't get relegated yeah. uh, it, with him it really felt like even if it wasn't in his power to make us win everything he really wanted to try well I think the difference is he loved the football club mm-hmm. uh, and that you can't say that at the moment yeah. um, uh, and there was always a, there was there was always a marquee signing a big signing most, most summers that um they put the neck on the line to give the the manager a, 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 the player that uh, that he wanted, um, and it wasn't for the want of trying that uh, that Newcastle didn't win uh, win a trophy under uh, when he was uh, mm-hmm. when he was the chairman. But he used um, him and a few others used all of their persuasive powers to um, to get me back to Newcastle because it was such a big decision. I mean, I was at times I was staying at Blackburn, at times I was um, going to Man United, and then. I got uh, I got a call off Kevin Keegan to say, "Can I have another half an hour with you?" Two or three days later, he said, "I'm uh, I'm coming down to um, to Manchester, believe it or not. Can I have another half an hour with you?" And I said, "Yes." 
because I was in the in the stage where I was thinking give me a few days I have to think about it and then I went and met him and then I left my home to go and meet Kevin in Manchester and I said that's it I'm going I'm signing for Newcastle okay. and what was it that he I said in that half hour it was just I thought you know what it was everything that I wanted to play for Newcastle I wanted the, 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 to wear the number 9 shirt I wanted to score goals it was my dream and I thought what am I waiting for this is all they're prepared to break the bank mm-hmm. it's a world record fee and the guy who you idolised is him join no, me no that's right absolutely yeah mm-hmm. and so I left my home to go and meet Kevin and I never ever went back to that house <laughs> I, got a, I got a taxi Ditched. I got a taxi to, I got my missus to pack me a bag wow. send it in a taxi to Manchester Airport um, got on a flight to the um, to the Far East where Newcastle were in, oh, in pre-season and then I signed there and then and I never went back home flew back into Newcastle did the press conference um, so I left all the work of packing the house up and everything to the family what happened with Manchester United's cause at that point because obviously that is a very difficult name to bat away Sir Alex and mm. Manchester United at that point especially with the team they no, had no they, they had a great team and I was pretty much guaranteed trophies um, it was just Newcastle yeah. it was my love for the football club I stood on the terraces as a kid on the Gallagher end cheering Keegan on and, and I, I wanted people to do that to me and me going home for that world record fee and, and the day that I went home and signed that we, we, we came back from um, from the Far East and they announced that I was going to uh, sign on that particular day and have an open day I don't know how many were there 15, 16, 17,000 something like it was pouring it rain it was a midweek day and I looked out and I walked out and I just saw all these kids and all that thinking Jesus how come you not at school why aren't you working there was thousands there I mean <laughs> you reason for, as well, were you? there was a good reason for a day off though yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh I'm feeling <laughs> sick today man <laughs> Were you? Were you? Because uh, you, were you say you remember when he signed for Manchester uh, for Newcastle United? I, I remember where I was. I was at the Silverlink, um, and I had my Newcastle top on, and I walked past some person who was working in a sofa shop. Or I was with me and Alan Grander, yeah. and they went, "Have you heard Alan Shearer signing?" I was like, "I'm going to get a number nine shirt right <laughs> now." Like, it's like Willy Wonka's chocolate factory. <laughs> Have you heard? They're giving away. They're, they're Man United. Long term, yeah, you would have gotten the trophies, but you you would have been a great player in a long line of great players, and you would never have been loved. I mean, Wayne Rooney's that top goal scorer. Man United don't exactly love him. Do you know what I mean? It's not. <laughs> well, he's it's again, not that it's love. Not, it's not coming from Newcastle. It's different it's not being like that. Mm. No, that's right, and it's, it's very. It's, if you're not if you're not from a particular area, I mean. I, I, I can try and say well if you're from Liverpool yeah. it would have probably been your dream to have played Absolutely. for Liverpool yeah. um, well I was from Newcastle and it was it was my club it was my dream to uh, to, to play for them um, and to have the goal scoring record to beat Jackie Milburn to have what I have up in Newcastle to have have played there for 10 years was nah, it was just it was the best decision what was Kevin Keegan like because he's a um He's a bit of a figure of fun in modern day football. Well, he left after three or four months, didn't yeah. he? Because, uh, what, what that, that baffled me. Like. Yeah, mate, I still don't know the, the real reason, to be honest. It, um, obviously there was some sort of business thing going on in the background as well. Board or for yeah. whatever reason, finances or whatever. So I signed in the August and then Kevin left um, round about the Christmas time after yeah. uh, after that, yeah. yeah. And, and Kenny Dalglish, ironically, comes back, yeah. uh, your old friend. I was there for Kenny's first game in charge, actually. And um, what really surprised me about his era at Newcastle is he, he let go Ferdinand, yeah. Ginola, and, and, and brought in uh, Des Hamilton and Stefan Givosh. And it, Tell it, me did, about it. It was. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, 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 it, it did seem to be a bit of a. Um, 
I don't want to succeed with Keegan's players. I want my own players in there, which that makes sense to a degree. I thought it would. Have, I thought it was a great appointment at the time because mm. obviously with what his success he had at uh, Liverpool, his success he had at Blackburn, and I thought he was tailor made coming into a big club like yeah. uh, like Newcastle. But now, it, uh, for whatever reason, it didn't work out. We should never have sold Les. Uh, Les oh, I mean, we, had, we had we had one season together, me and Les, and we got forty nine goals, I think, between wow. us. I missed two months through injury. He mm. missed three months. Um, I mean, imagine that had been a fully fit yeah. season. You'd been looking at seventy. Well, goals. He, he did the. They, they told him that they no longer wanted him. We we're going to sell him to Tottenham, and then I went to play in the pre-season game with Newcastle in a tournament at Everton at Goodison Park and broke my ankle snapped my ankle <laughs> um, done my ligaments uh, ruptured whatever displaced the joint so all of a sudden they've told Les he's free to go I've ruptured my ankle and going to be out for six or seven months And but they've gone back to Les and said look this is what's happened to Alan we've made a mistake we don't want you now to leave for Tottenham can you reverse your decision and to, to Les's credit he said no you've told me I'm not wanted so you've got to respect that to be fair to the man and, yeah. he seems like a really nice bloke Les I know you did idea. the Glenfell uh, 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 yeah. to- tournament I did that uh, with Les and then um, caddied for him last week at the, yeah. uh, at the, at the British Masters in, in the Pro-Am he's normally very good but he's hopeless last week right. Right. is that because you were his caddy probably yeah, yeah. 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 you're just in the background going don't miss this no, one Les good, great lad he is so what was it like building up a relationship with him because a lot of people um, I mean obviously recently we've seen Neymar step out of Messi's shadow, shadow and then uh, argue with Cavani when he got mm. to PSG what was it like building relationships as a strike as a strike about then because it was always two up top pretty well, much well you had two yeah. nice spreaders exactly as well, yeah, yeah no, I mean in, in in the vast majority of teams, certainly up until it's twenty nine thirty, that it was it was always um, two up front, yeah. um, and that was the system that everyone sort of played. Whether it was me and Chris Sutton, me and Mike Neal, uh, me and Matt Letizier at uh, at Southampton, yeah. um, or myself and Les at uh, at Newcastle or Beardsley or Spreer or Craig Bellamy, whoever it uh, it might have been. So no, it's fine. It's that my job was to score goals mm. and the good thing about being a centre forward is you can have an absolute stinker for 89 minutes <laughs> and score the winning goal and be man of the match yeah. whereas if you're a defender and you give a mistake you win it leads to a goal you've had a nightmare yeah. and that's the good thing about being a centre forward but it's also the hardest job is putting the ball in the back of the net yeah. which is why the strikers go for big door and why they get paid the most um, and which is which is why every team uh, in the bottom half if they had a guy that could put the ball in the back of the net and get 15 or 20 goals then they, 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 they'd change the whole season five or six places up the uh, up the league yeah. and there's, there's not many around nowadays so Kenny takes us from second in the league to 13th mm. and he gets uh, moved out yeah. Rude Hullett gets moved in and that was someone who you didn't really see eye to eye with yeah, yeah. Um, was that his first managerial job? he'd done Chelsea no, he'd done Chelsea so he, what, he was yeah, so he came and everyone got the wigs and that it was, so it was fun for a while until he, did that, he did a photo shoot with tulips in his pocket which was really <laughs> weird at the time and so when he came in was it an instant dislike or was yeah, it we, okay. we disliked each other from the minute the first minute well, we met each other was it because you beat Holland do you think <laughs> I don't know. I just you know you just get a feeling when he walked in and he sort of sort of introduced to each other and hi hi lovely boy he used to call me and I just I just thought we're not going to get on it lovely boy lovely boy yeah no um, one's ever called me that before no no life. did you think that was a little unusual nah, no it was that's was that, that was condescending it was, just, nah, it was just it was you just got the feeling as that like, and he had, he just and then within within a week or two he just sort of dismissed all the senior players yeah 
me, Rob, Stuart Pearce, John Barnes, Ian Rush, Warren uh-huh. Barton, and all those guys were just sort of put to one side. It was like, it was as if he didn't want any senior players challenging him, taking him on. He didn't want a, 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 a vocal and character in the dressing room for him, ego-wise, because if he's trying to assert his dominance, and you've Are you got trying to say I've got an ego. No, I'm saying you're the god of the club, mate. <laughs> you know what I mean? That is a problem. Isn't no, it? I mean, like you've got someone who's a goal scorer. The fans love him. If you want to drop him or whatever, or you, yeah. you want to create this, this is my club type yeah, situation. Fancy then even if you are good enough that it's going to prove a problem for someone like a hobbit yeah it's um, um it was a difficult situation because i knew that he wanted me out of the football club and i didn't want to leave yeah. um but i would have had to have left if uh, if he had stayed but mm-hmm. he 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 sort of gambled he put all his eggs into one basket didn't he and sort of left me out of the biggest game of the season Sunderland because I'd been I was suspended for the game beforehand um, they were beating at home mm-hmm. and then I think he kept it, um, the same team against Sunderland in the midweek he left you and uh, Duncan Ferguson out together which yeah but that's mean? fine you're, you, as a manager you're entitled to leave whoever you want out you, you, you pick the team that you think is going to win the game but I think there's also a way of doing it so to walk into the dressing room at 6.30 and see your name on the board and you're not playing I don't think it's the so correct you could have had a word or said look mate or... there's a way to leave someone yeah. out particularly a senior professional but I, I don't I think it's exactly the same whether you're a young kid or whether you're a, a, an old professional there's a way of telling someone they're not playing yeah. not to walk into a dressing room and find out on the team sheet on the board in front of everyone and that's how that's myself, quite a teach that that's how myself and, and Big Dunk found out we were left out um, but it was even worse after that because um, the result 2-1 uh, he put Big Dunk on before me um, and then put me on for the last sort of 15 or 20 minutes um, and then we, we finished the game obviously angry got home watched match of the day and then of course it was mine and Duncan's fault for um, that we'd been beaten according to Rude on TV Jesus so um, I thought that was it that was the um, the, the final nail if you like to say well I've got to do something about it here um, so I went in bright and early got the kids up an hour early than they should have been to school dropped them off at uh, 7.45 which is unheard of the doors weren't even open I left them out in the <laughs> love you there you go I've yeah. got, I've you've got, got your pack lunches I've, yeah. I've got to get to uh, to the training ground kids I'm sorry I've got to leave you here yeah. um, and so I, I drop the kids in and go racing down the motorway in the car and pull into the training ground and luckily I see his car that's in there so I go bursting into the office and I look in, in there Big Dunk's already beat me to it he's sat in there tearing strips off the wall beforehand so. yeah. and he wasn't someone to argue with no, you he wasn't not definitely not, burglars no. out once or something you like that you definitely wouldn't want to burgle Big Dunk's house that's for sure yeah, yeah, not again anyway no you um, have had a great very short lived but a great partnership yeah and like well, with Shira and like Duncan Ferguson up front, you're feeling like oh, no defence is going to look forward to this. Like the only Ferguson that uh, I think he's beat Man United. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we beat Man United, but it was Neil yeah. yeah. and scored a great goal. A volley scored a great goal. Yeah. That, like. He was he was as hard as they come, big uh-huh. dunk. Yeah. yeah. If he said jump, you jump. You oh. jumped high. Yeah. He's so a coach at Evan. Uh, yeah, he's he's coach at Evan. Very very good lad though, but he was hard as nails. Yeah. So that was it, and mm-hmm. then he resigned. Uh, or was sacked whatever I'm not uh, I'm not quite sure um, and then Bobby Robson the rest is uh, Sir Bobby Robson Sir Bobby yeah, and then yeah. Sir Bobby came in um, I mean he saved he saved my career in a black and white shirt definitely uh, probably saved my career because he got me smiling again he got me enjoying football 
something simple he just said to me is look you're making it too easy for the centre halves everything's going towards uh, the halfway line rather than going the other way you're not mm-hmm. asking enough questions of the of the two centre halves you've got you've got to be horrible to play against again you're too easy um, it was something as simple as that and then in his first home game against Sheffield Wednesday we scored eight uh, I scored five and then that was it I was back um, back up and running again so but so Bobby was he was a genius at man management it's incredible whether you're a 17 year old kid or whether you're a 35 year old experienced professional he was he was brilliant at uh, getting the best and making you feel good making you feel special making you enjoy football he was just incredible mm-hmm. even even watching his interviews and I think this goes for all football fans whether Newcastle fan or not you fell in love with him mm. like he just had such passion and you come across such a nice person yeah. that he, he was like the granddad of yeah. English football no he was yeah and he'd, he'd, he'd achieved so much um, before that mm. for, for, so for him to come back to his North East and, he did a bit like what you did and to man- yeah to manage his football club you could see the passion that and the love that he had for the uh, for the football club I mean he took us from bottom of the Premier League into Champions League football mm. in in a very short space of time, um, and he used all his experience to to do that. Was so. that evident when you were talking to him? Because he he discovered R um, nine uh, Ronaldo, the yeah. Brazilian Ronaldo, and he'd managed Barcelona, and he took Ipswich to the UEFA Cup and all that. Could you could you tell of all that experience well, when he, you were talking uh, football? He, he told me the story that when I was leaving uh, Blackburn, he'd rang Blackburn up whilst manager of Barcelona. Mm and said that we want to buy Alan Shearer wow. and Blackburn had told him in no uncertain terms that I wasn't for sale at all at any price and forget about it he says and then the next thing he, he knew I was signing for Newcastle mm-hmm. but it didn't turn out too badly for him so in, in, not signing, in not signing me he signed Ronaldo so it wasn't yeah. a bad, didn't yeah. work out too badly for yeah. him um, when um, when Sir Bobby passed away, I, I noticed uh, there was an interview with Kieran Dyer who'd um, just got the news, and uh, he was really upset. Like yeah. he was, he was like, I feel like my second dad sort of just passed away. Like I look up to him so much. Do you feel a lot of the Newcastle players would have felt the same yeah, way? Yeah, oh, definitely. Yeah, that because day? that's that's the way he was with uh, with players. Whether mm. as I said, whether you're a kid or whether. you're 35 year old been around for years he made you he made you feel special but he also he also made you feel as if how lucky you were to be a footballer um, because he'll go back to his background of where he was from um, near Durham um, the, the mines etc etc and, and so he was he was always constantly drumming that into you um, and you just had huge respect for him yeah mm-hmm. huge respect I, I noticed um couple of stories about players who said you know because he comes across such a nice man but he had to have a bit of a nasty streak about him to be a boss like he's still a manager at the end you've got to still respect him and have that mm. and these young players need that sometimes and he was there's clever a, there was a few stories where he was like do you know who I've managed <laughs> Figo Ronaldo you are an ant <laughs> yeah. compared uh, like I, no, he, had, he definitely had that side uh-huh. to him if he uh, if he needed to and because of where he had been and who he'd managed before he'd, when, when he shouted then you had to listen and he definitely had the. I know that there was there was players at times that let him down with fighting on the pitch or whatever, yeah. or disciplinary um, things that happened. There was a lot of nights out apparently under his watch because there was definitely mm-hmm. a lot of uh, with the younger guys uh, nights out. Yeah, this <laughs> that uh, I mean, a young guy coming to Newcastle, single, a lot of money. 
there's a lot on offer and uh, <laughs> I think a lot was taken by the young, by the younger boys yeah mm. I, I heard a lot of stories about like uh, Kieran Dyer actually as I just <laughs> mentioned uh, enjoyed the Baja Beach Club Did back it? in the day yeah, yeah yeah you got some really good clubs in Newcastle <laughs> it must be whenever well, you say I a name of a club I always think that sounds so <laughs> exotic I wouldn't know yeah <laughs> You got some friends who know very well. Yeah, they tell me they're great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, no, yeah. I've not been in a club for years. God, not in Newcastle. So you're on the come up under um, Bobby in the Champions League now, back where you belong, and uh, we did pretty well. Went to Milan, got a couple of yeah, goals there. So. Um, that was a great night that mm-hmm. in uh, in Milan. Yeah, scoring two goals in the uh, in the San Siro. The atmosphere. I, mean, I don't know what how many thousands of fans that were there in Newcastle. Twelve or fifteen thousand, whatever, behind that uh, behind that goal in the San Siro. It was. A, brilliant atmosphere and a great game to play in I think we were the first team ever in Champions League history to lose the first three games but still qualify oh, yeah. I think we got the results in the, in the, uh, in the remaining games to see us qualify so, but the yeah, one thing I loved about that team is it was like it was a good mixture um, because you had like Leaders like you know yourself and Gary Speed and people like that, but you also had the young lads with pace like uh, Dyer and Bellamy and um, and Nobby Solano with a good ball in. Like it had a bit of everything going forward. No, it was good. It was a good team to play. It was good fun. You still, you know, when you if you're not having fun, then there's no point in being there. And that that's sometimes when you look at it, it's that sometimes Billy as you say you're not having fun there but you've got you've got to enjoy it mm. I mean that's what you're doing every single day of your life is, is football so you have to enjoy it you have to love it and that was what I, what I found interesting you said there was he made football fun for you again he put a smile back on your face yeah. and also made you face up against centre-backs again yeah uh, what, what do you think you are like to play against hopefully I was well I know I was horrible to play against but that was taught to do I was taught you, you don't get anywhere by being nice in, in football otherwise you'll get, you'll, you'll get walked on Yeah. people will walk all over you you've got big centre offs behind you kicking you pulling you scratching you are they talking to you as well saying whatever to you in, in, in your ear ok um, so you have to look after yourself definitely um, and I always gave as good as I got I was I was hard most of the times I was fair Um <laughs> Uh, but no, I was. I, you say you were fair. Would Neil Lennon agree with that? Oh, he deserved it. He was, <laughs> he was, he was stupid for headbutting my foot, wasn't he? Yeah. Was that actually delivered? Was it? Like, what did you say? No, I wasn't. It was. It was just meant. It was just kicked just, out. I didn't yeah. mean to kick him in the head. Obviously, yeah. I just kicked out because. But I didn't. Uh, and then sort of panicked when I knew he'd headbutted my foot yeah, yeah. still fair <laughs> uh, and, but, and so there are people talk because uh, one of your match of the day compatriot uh, Ian Wright always talks about how much he used to love chatting to people out on the pitch yeah uh, Michael Dubry tells great stories about Wright he just really yeah. laying into but him and Schmeichel had a hell of a battle yeah. well yeah I used to love watching that like. well I, I was just saying I mean, it's funny you know when you when, was once you retire um you, you come across in the media um, you work for different channels and different people and then you come across all these players who you thought God, I don't really I don't I hate him I don't yeah. like him he's horrible to play against and Peter Schmeichel was like that mm. um, we had some great battles like Wrighty did but um, over the past three or four years I've worked with Peter and we get on great now we're like best buddies now yeah. it's like because well, the pitch is a version of you yeah. but it's not the normal you no, it's like you're right. in a different state of mind it's like going to a, you see boxers years later yeah. Tyson and Holyfield best mates now yeah. um, the one player who did have a little bit of a Barney with was Roy Keane yeah. 
and uh, mm. now you've actually I think you did a little bit of punditry next to him I did yeah I, did a, I think I did an FA Cup game mm. a year or so ago did with, you, did uh, you with say Rob. anything to each other about no it, it was or? fine we, got on, we yeah. got on fine we had a laugh and we had a joke he was another one yeah I mean I had some great battles with him I really respected him in the face player. once didn't he and uh, it's in James's part oh yeah he yeah. swung for when you he got, uh, when he got that red card it was funny because when he, he walked off the pitch and it was because it was the last minute of the game only a minute or two left and he'd been given the red card and he was waiting for me at the top of the tunnel at St yeah. James's and of course we tried to get to each other but yeah. we couldn't it was like hold me back and they don't yeah. hold me back but we couldn't get to each other so it would have been interesting yeah I th- personally I think you would have knocked him clean out <laughs> of course I would have I think Murray agrees <laughs> yeah. and so um, too busy chasing after his dog man <laughs> uh, and, and then, it was, so were you? Were you kind of go chat to people out on the pitch? Um, only if they used to say bad things to me. Mm-hmm. Then okay. I was never. I never went out with the intention of saying anything to any centre half at all. Yeah. It was only if, but again, as the, as a centre forward, you always get the chance to have the last laugh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you don't. The the best way to say things is put the ball in the back of the net, and and of course on the way back to the halfway line, and then you can give them two barrels. So. Yeah. Were you quite protected as a player as well of, of younger players and sort of? Yeah. No, yeah. I, I was brought up in in that Southampton team where there was an old guy, uh, Jimmy Case, who was the senior professional who was experienced, hard as old nail as, as old boots. Um, and he was he looked after us all as, as kids and if anyone kicked us he would go and have a word with them so I sort of um, learned a lot from him in, in that way as in trying to look after the youngsters yeah yeah so the one time it did really kick off in the Newcastle team I remember in the Aston Villa game uh, Stevie Taylor had a fight with the ball and uh, mm. Lee Boyer and Kieran Dyer had a yeah. fight with each other and uh, the, the pictures are there you grabbing Boyer like talking to him what, yeah. can you remember what you said to him like after that was and what was going through your mind in the dressing room I don't know it was something like what the fuck you two <laughs> have been doing it was, it was just I mean I couldn't uh, it's twice that's happened to me on a pitch it's that it yeah. happened to when I was at Blackburn um, Graham Lasseau and David Batty we played Moscow away in the uh, in the Champions League. They had a fight with each other on the pitch. Graham Lasso. Graham Lasso and uh, and David Batty, yeah. And then of course Kieran Dyer and Lee Boyer had they mm. won it uh, at Newcastle. Um, but they were they were devastated in the dressing room. They knew they'd let everyone down. They knew yeah. that more importantly they'd probably let Sir Bobby down. I think that was the uh, the big thing that they mm-hmm. they felt guilty more than anything is, and that they they obviously owed him an apology, and, and they did. Yeah. Yeah, I remember actually that. I remember watching that because I said oh we've had it yeah I think we were losing 3-1 or something and I was walking I was, I'm just going to go down now and I turned around as I'm walking down the stairs and there's like a monitor up and I turn on the fight I'm like what's <laughs> happening yeah. yeah it was mad, it was yeah. mental yeah. Like, yeah. as a player as well you must turn around to that and just be like what is I know yeah mm. I mean you, you get you, you get angry on a pitch obviously because not everything goes your way you get angry with the opposition you get angry with your, with your own players but there's no way you can do that especially in front of 52,000 it's mm-hmm. like and millions watching on TV did you um, obviously I've seen it happen plenty of times in training really and in and in, in, a, in, in a way is it like good that they care like because if someone's I think they can ready to yeah. fight. It, it, to me, it, it, I'd rather them be like that than just lackadaisical and not give them. No, nah, that's right. It's, you, you, you've got twenty-five guys who are training together every day, four or five days a week, playing on a Saturday. You're not going to get everything go smoothly mm-hmm. all the time. So it's quite a regular occurrence oh. to see players fighting on the training ground. I want to knock him out three times a week. Yeah, yeah. Or in the dressing room after a game. It's, mm-hmm. it's in fact it's quite common. It certainly was when I was playing anyway. A lot of egos as well. Yeah. 
but yeah, it's, it's it happens, and of course, when when it when it happens, is that it's it's such it's, people look at it as a big shock that there's a fight on the yeah. training ground, but it's life. It happens every so single week. Open training grounds up and down the country. Yeah, there was one player who uh, wrote about you in this book, Craig Bellamy, who you played under the Bobby Robson era. Uh, oh, I'm not scared of him. Big tough guy and all that. And apparently you texted him back saying. Uh, don't come back to Newcastle, mate. If you know it's good. I for can't you. remember what I texted him. Yeah, yeah. I texted off him once. Yeah, I, I can't even remember what the text said. He and, and then I pressed ex- send, and I thought, what yeah. on earth are you doing? It's like he seemed to claim that you'd uh, done an interview where you were passing the book, and that's what he said. Oh, same old Alan passing the book, and um, you went, you want to look, have a look at yourself, mate, or something along those lines. Mm. And you said that you'd uh, knock him out if he ever come back to Newcastle. Have you seen him since then? Uh, I haven't seen him for a while to be honest no yeah. you've been in Newcastle quite a lot then. Yeah. yeah yeah, I have yeah he yeah, walked yeah. past us once in uh, McDonald's and I remember thinking Jesus he is tiny it's a sh- <laughs> it's a- he is we had a- he is yeah, tiny he is, he he's is such a small yeah. man he probably wouldn't have taken much uh, we had it um, on the pitch we were very good for each other actually because um, obviously in the latter stages of my career I was starting to lose a bit of pace and for what I lacked, he made up with. Then yeah. um, he was crap at finishing, so you were. You so I had all the uh, all the goals. So yeah. on the pitch, it was um, it was it was decent on the pitch. Yeah, he annoys me a little bit, Craig Bellamy, to be honest with you, because he goes on TV yeah. and he goes, uh, "Oh, Newcastle fans, yeah, they think that, that the club should be as big as Liverpool and Man United." I'm not watching. Craig what Bellamy, what the hell are you on people? television yeah. for, mate? Are you are you for real? <laughs> Talking absolute shit. I think he enjoys, but he he enjoys that sort of being a little worky. That being an antagonist, yeah. being antagonistic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then obviously you were also, I think you were captain of England. Went back and went off. Yeah, for kicking. Um, Simeone. 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 Yeah. yeah. Um, but that's another time where you probably turned around and thought, did you even know what happened at that point? Not really. No, not on the uh, not on the pitch. It was '98 uh, World Cup, wasn't it against yeah. Argentina? Um, I wasn't really aware of what had happened. Uh, and I was captain but I think we there was nothing really said in the dressing room after that I think everyone was just numb and still in shock at losing it to to the penalties Um, look we've all done things on a pitch that you think I wish I hadn't done that or I should have done it differently so it's very difficult to have a go at someone when do you know what I mean because everyone's human aren't they everyone makes mistakes now and again do you remember his reaction to, to that and were you because obviously he's captain he got hammered didn't yeah. he? I think that's yeah. the worst I've seen he says he's he hammered really, yeah. like he, th- he almost lost his career no, he showed great character coming back yeah. coming back from that because a lot of players would have would have folded yeah. with the treatment that uh, that was dished out to him after that yeah was, that was when the press sort of showed their teeth at that point because you when you oh, no, your I think, it was the, 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 I think the first time I remember press getting angry and and managers and players getting stick which was a lot which is the Bobby Robson era 1991-ish something like that or nine sorry 90 um Bobby Robson got a lot of uh, a lot of stick and yeah. I just thought it's it's it started big time and I think it was around about then that uh, that it started yeah I, I went back and watched like the documentary about that because obviously I, I wasn't old enough to remember it but because uh, to me where I was like this well respected manager who nobody really would question because that's because he overcame all that but yeah. I didn't realise they really tried to make him into a joke yeah, yeah, at that did, point yeah, absolutely yeah quite disrespectful really at that point yeah. wasn't it that's when I can f- first starting or, or getting angry at managers and players was around about that time yeah. did you ever think of leaving in, I, I, my, my men, mental there was to think well I'd leave England did you ever think of just leaving England anyway in your career and going somewhere else I had opportunities but I never 
it was never a huge desire to go abroad okay. um, no it was so I was always quite I was always now. quite content I had a chance to go to Italy um, which team to which team was it Bari Sampdoria okay. um, at the time but it never there was nothing big enough for me to say yeah I want you to go and follow that lead up because yeah. I was always quite content in, in England yeah that's interesting as well, isn't it? Because a lot of people get that. Uh, Syria was huge. Yeah, it was. Yeah. You, you say Bari and Sampdoria now, they're not the same. No, exactly. Back then, yeah. they, Back were, then they were a big team. Yeah, yeah they were one of the biggest teams in Europe at that point. Yeah, later in your career, um, obviously, we had the Graham Souness era and, and things just went downhill for Newcastle you came back to try and save the day mm. at the end. And uh, unfortunately, I think the ship was already practically sunk by that point, and there was a lot of. Mm mentally weak characters in the dressing room that's being polite um, I, 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 I mean I really to be honest I think the second team that got relegated were actually worse than that team yeah. so that's saying something but um, you did your best and obviously tried to, to save at the end there um, you weren't helped but I think it was Joey Barton got sent off um, at Liverpool and I remember you'd always been so perfect in your responses to questions mm. and that was the first time I thought oh he's really pissed off yeah like this is yeah I was angry because um, Joey was injured for the first four games um, that I was there for mm. I was there for eight games mm. so Joey was injured for the first four um, so I only had him for the last four games and he had he had legs and we had Kevin Nolan and Nicky Butt in the team who were great professionals gave everything but they, they couldn't get up and down the pitch Joey could so I'd said to him um, uh, about going back to Liverpool and the issues that he'd, uh, that he'd had there, would he be all right handling the atmosphere because he's going to get hammered off the crowd? Um, <clears throat> and he said, yeah, no problem, won't let you down. So we put him in, we started him. And we were getting beaten 3-0, and to be honest, that was a great result. It should have been 10. They hit the post five or six times, and, and, and we're just about to take him off. And then... Um, in front of the cop he tries to he scythes Xavi Alonso down straight red card suspended for the last three games of the season so I had him for one 60, 60 minutes yeah. um, it was yeah he let, he let me down he let the club down um, and then I just thought it was it was my time to say a few home truths and I did in the dressing room told him what I thought told him what everyone else was thinking and saying and that was it I never um, I never saw him again after that but he just didn't come back to the no, training? No, I didn't want him back. Okay. What was it like being the manager over that period of time? Because um, it's a different kind of pressure. And, you know, you're really... Your whole career, you've been able to affect things a lot more. And now you're having to live through these lads who aren't as good as what you were. And so many top pros have said it's hard to do that because you're having to deal with people who can't just do what you want to get out there and do. No, I think what what, disapp what disappointed me most at Newcastle was um, a lot of the attitudes. Um, I didn't get everything I felt uh, I could have out of some players at, uh, at Newcastle at that particular time. It was hard, it was disappointing. I worked my socks off for, uh, for the eight games. But it was also a learning curve um, and a great learning curve. And I still had the... the the hunger and the desire to go into management I still thought I would have after that mm -hmm. and I, obviously I thought it was going to be at, uh, be at Newcastle um, but for whatever reason it, it didn't uh, it didn't work out um, and, but even after that I still thought I was going to do it but then after time the longer you're out the more difficult it is to get back in I started enjoying the media a little bit more and I just thought no 
I'm going to knuckle down and get stuck into the media, and that's what I want to do because it's um, it's a great life here. Mm. That must must be a bit easier. I mean, you've seen how managers age. No, yeah. well, it's a tough. Uh, but I enjoy the responsibility. I mean, you've got to make so many decisions. What the stupid things like what do they wear? What do they eat? What are they? What time you got to meet? I mean, everything. You're basically a, a dad to 25 guys. All different ages, and you, you, whatever anyone says, you have to treat them differently. Um, you can't say, "Well, this is the group; it's black or white." You're all doing this, you're all doing that. Everyone has different needs. Mm. Everyone has different personalities. So you got to treat guys uh, slightly different um, to what you'd normally do to to, to one guy. You got to do different to the other. So it was an eye opener, but it was something I enjoyed. Did you find yourself reaching back into memories of stuff that you'd had with Kenny and mm. Kevin? Well, not Kevin for very long, but you know people like Bobby as well, and trying to work out what they would have done as managers. Tried to, yeah, absolutely, yeah, and and, and spoke to uh, spoke to uh, to a couple of them also just to try and and get a little bit of feedback from uh, from them. But ultimately, it boils down to that is the players weren't good enough, yeah. um, attitudes weren't good enough, uh, and there wasn't enough drive and hunger to keep Newcastle in the Premier League did you think that was understood by everyone in the media because I remember that was when I was I was sort of first starting to do that football blogging and things like that and I was probably one of the people that absolutely handled that team because they, they didn't come across as a great side mm. but do you think people saw everything that went on and rightly sum, summarised no, it I don't think so or? I think one thing that stands out from and I knew that it would be difficult from the start is that um, my very first day I was aware of issues obviously yeah. uh, what were going on inside the football club mm. I, were, I was aware that people were walking off training for no reason I was aware that people were late for training so what I did the first day was I put a fine system in because right. my very first day there there was a member of staff late so I thought that was a warning sign. So I put a fine system in. Um, the first time you're late, it was 10% of your wages. The second time you're late, it was 25%. And the third time you're late, it was 50%. But you had to get that passed by the players' committee. And the players' committee, as soon as the fine system hit the dressing room floor, the players' committee came and knocked on my door and said, that's not acceptable, we don't want that. And my, my answer was, well, don't be late. Yeah, exactly. I'm asking you to be in for training at 10 o'clock you will start at 10.30 and I promise you for the next eight weeks you'll be in the in the um, training ground for no longer than 1.30 yeah. and that's including lunch it's not, if, it's, not, it's not as if you're in London where you could get stuck, stuck in traffic I'm asking you to be in training ground at 10 o'clock to start at 10.30 mm. and I wasn't allowed to put the fine system in the PFA wouldn't allow it and the players committee wouldn't allow it so then I thought there's an issue here because yeah. if, if players don't they just don't be late it's simple Yeah, but I wasn't allowed to do it, so I knew I knew it would be difficult from then onwards. Yeah, it, it must be good though to know that you do have the phone number of someone as experienced as Ken Dudley. It didn't do me any good, did it? No, yeah, good point. <laughs> but at least you still got the trust list, or you still got people sort yeah, of backing you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think even even now, I mean, even with Rude Rude Hullet, who I get on great with now, it's the same situation. I think uh, right throughout my career, um, that I think any manager that I've played for. Um, I could pick the phone up to them now and have a conversation with them or go for a pint with them and I think that's important and I think that says a lot about who I am and, and who they are also mm. What was it like um, dealing with Mike Ashley in that time? Um, I only saw him twice uh, once was after the Middlesbrough game when we beat Middlesbrough at home mm -hmm. 
and the other time was uh, two days after we'd been relegated to talk about what happened and to, to agree mm-hmm. uh, going forward that I was going to manage the football club and then I shook hands and said okay see you later I'll see you next week or whatever and I haven't spoke or seen him since no doubt he loved the idea of the fine system personally well yeah any way to make money personally 50% you say right what astounds me what astounds me about Mike Ashley as someone who's made so much money and must have intelligence about him in order to do that is how long I mean he still hasn't grasped the concept of how football works even now like I'm amazed as someone who I just think I'm a regular bloke like you have to invest in, in the summer you have to you know give the manager the funds he needs and like for him to make the same mistake this season and whether Rafa manages to squeeze the season out and keep us up or not like it'll be out of Rafa's ability and the players trying hard and not through him helping them I think I think an issue is is, is knowing the area and knowing the football club and understanding the football club and loving it mm-hmm. and I think that's where he uh, that's where he probably falls down is that he doesn't understand the football club or the area and mm. actually what it means what the football club means to the people because you know and I know that the difference between having a good week and a bad week in Newcastle is what happens on a Saturday afternoon at St James's Park mm. people work hard all week to spend their money on two things one is having a good time and the other is watching Newcastle United mm-hmm. and if they have a good time and Newcastle is successful that's a great week for the people in Newcastle yeah, and, and they're happy with that and he probably doesn't understand that but when, he, when he comes up with things like um I'm not going to be able to compete with Manchester City. Mm-hmm. I'm like, do you really think anyone in Newcastle expects that, Paul? <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, spend, I don't know, 20, 30, 40 million. I don't, you can't tell me he hasn't got the capability to do that, but he wants to put it out like it's impossible to do mm. that. That's Bournemouth spend 20 million on one player. They've got like 10,000 people yeah. watching them every week. You yeah, know? And that, that's, that's, that's exactly right, is that when you look at uh, how much Bournemouth spend on mm-hmm. a individual player or, or um, Leicester, or you can go through seven or eight clubs who are yeah. probably in, in the same um, size as mm-hmm. Newcastle now, as in where they should be in the league, as in spending terms. And I think that's the frustrating thing, is, is that you see these guys spending 20, 25 million on, on one player whereas that's the total budget for Newcastle and that's the frustrating thing but after all it's his money but if he doesn't want to be there then that's so, yeah he's exactly. also his club and he has a responsibility towards him at that yes point. he yeah, does yeah, but it is, it is his money but if he doesn't want to be there and if he doesn't want to spend then let someone else come on and yeah. let someone else take it over hopefully there, there was someone she, she was just an intermediary so. don't start with Amanda um uh, do you have a, do you have any contact with Rafa? Yes, yeah, yeah. Now um, I speak to uh, speak to Rafa. Rafa, uh, when he first signed, uh, he got me in after the first or second day and asked mm. um, about the football club, about the area, um, what I felt needed changing or doing, and uh, I give him, I told him everything honestly and openly. Yeah, so he's been brilliant, been very good. He's, uh, it- uh, it's fair to say that a lot of the media didn't really have a very fair representation of him when he came back to England who was a bit of a what do you mean when he took over Chelsea well I, I actually remember a journalist saying to me when he first took over Chelsea wow I wish he'd actually gone to some of his press conferences because mm. I'd have treated him differently if I'd have known he was this guy yeah mm-hmm. um, and it seems like the the perception of him has completely changed do you think your own perception of him has changed no I, and I spoke to him at the beginning of this season also and he's very frustrated I mean yeah. he, he didn't tell me anything different to what he's what he'd, he'd let out to the media that he yeah. was uh, he was pretty angry that um, he'd felt that um, 
things were promised to and hadn't been delivered yeah. uh, and he was open and honest and told everyone about that um, but I think it was a great coup for Newcastle to get him in the first place and then for to to keep hold of him because you've got to put yourself in Rafa's shoes also and think well what else is available other than Newcastle yeah he's not getting any of the top six job at the minute yeah um, and then they compare the size of the football club what could be available and there's nothing bigger than Newcastle mm-hmm um, by all accounts, he loves it in England. His family are on the world, um, so that was that was one of, probably one of the reasons why he decided to stay, um, because of the size of the football club mm-hmm. and what he feels he could he can actually achieve. Um, and I don't think they'll be relegated. I think because of him, because of experience, because of the way they work, um, their setup, hard to beat. Um, they actually look like the K now, which is a nice change. Yeah, I think he's he's got a bunch of players that are willing to listen, willing to work hard. And if you work hard at Newcastle, you'll get on. Mm. That's all the fans ask is that you put a shift in. Going back to sort of just before you obviously went into management, when, when you retired as a player, what, what influenced that decision? Uh, I knew that I couldn't play at the level that I wanted to. I was fortunate all my career to play at the highest level. Yeah. Uh, and I wasn't, was never going to be a player that, um, that was going to drift down the leagues. Uh, a friend of mine said to me many many years ago um, always get off the stage while people are shouting for more Yeah. and I was determined not to be this fat ass guy who had a decent <laughs> career rolling around in the bottom in the bottom tiers of the league and I'm not saying that's right or wrong I'm no. just personally for me I didn't want that yeah. to happen so um, and I couldn't I couldn't I knew I couldn't get to the standards that I wanted to, to continue to uh, to get to so I had to retire I was going to retire a year earlier actually but it was um it was Graham Souness that talked me around to doing the extra year. Mm. What did he say to talk to you? He just said, you're a long time retired, you've still got plenty to offer, um, I want you to be part of my team, still be the captain, you won't play every game, but I'm going to bring players in, you can go in, dip in, dip out. And I just thought, you know what, for a year, I think that'll, that'll be all right. Yeah. I ended up playing the vast majority of the season because <laughs> I didn't get in the players that he wanted or the players that he got in weren't yeah. quite good enough. And thankfully, uh, it, that, that extra year got me the, uh, got me the record, the, the, the record for, with Jackie Milburn. And of course, it was fate really because my last ever kick of a football in a professional game was that penalty against Sunderland yeah. at uh, at the Stadium of Light? Uh, obviously, I was retiring at the end, but it, five or six games earlier, my knee had gone and got an injury, and was we had to walk off injured and, and never played again. But one of my worst moments in football was missing the penalty uh, for Newcastle against Sunderland at the Gallagher end, mm-hmm. uh, and that was always sort of rammed down my throat, and I. I was desperate, desperate, desperate to, have, to get a penalty against Sunderland and it took all those years to get one against Sunderland and ironically it was my last ever kick of a football. Mm. I don't know what I would have done if I'd have missed it. <laughs> <laughs> it was textbook, wasn't it? Thankfully it went in the back yeah. of the net, so yeah. Put his laces yeah. through it. Well, you've, clearly, Top corner. you've clearly still got it because there's like, you, uh, I don't know who put the video up but there's a video of you near a pool somewhere like son, absolutely think, nailing yeah, it. My son has a thing every year that he wants to put up there about me scoring a goal but... 
Yeah, my son does that, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> He's funny, your son. Uh, you put a picture out of him and his sister's either side of him and he put a, a rose between two, two thorns. thorns. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, this kid's got some banter. Um, what was the first few weeks like of being retired from football? Were you just sitting around the house in your pants? No, like, the first few on? weeks, the first couple of weeks were all right because it's a novelty is that, God, I don't have to get up, I don't yeah. have to go training, I can eat what I want, I can drink what I want, I can I can wake up with a hangover. It's not, it, doesn't, mm. it doesn't matter. It's all great after for, for two or three months after you've um, after you've retired and then the guys go back into pre-season in July and then you start sort of twiddling your thumbs and, and then the matches start which is the hard thing um, then it's difficult it is difficult because from the age of 15 to the age of nearly 36 you've had everything done for you um, all you've ever known is get up go to training um, sometimes train in the afternoon get home prepare work for a Saturday every summer uh, got to watch what you do watch what you eat and keep on taking over training and for, for, for 20 years that is it day in day out and then all of a sudden that's it gone you're now no longer part of the football club football club will want you um, and you're on your own so uh, and you're never going to get any sympathy. I'm not. Yeah. You know, no one's ever looking for sympathy because you've been paid a great wage. You've had it, but all of a sudden you just go, Woof. and then, as I said earlier about the adrenaline rush, mm. whatever you do in your life, you're never going to get that rush back mm. of scoring a goal or or uh, walking out in front of eighty thousand or captaining your country or captaining Newcastle. And that's why a lot of players get in, into trouble, I said, because they go ch chasing that drug and that's not there. And you didn't do that? Well, luckily, I was fortunate because I sort of, I went from one dressing room into another one, as in match right. of the day, with Hansen and Lineker and Lee Dixon and Wrighty and all the guys. So I sort of left that one, and, but went straight in, into another one. Yeah. Um, and that was hard enough. So it's, it, it must be very, very difficult for the guys who have gone from the dressing room into nothing. Have you witnessed that happen to other footballers? Yeah, it happens. Like it, happens uh, it happens all the time. Yeah. Can, I mean, every every year it happens that someone finishes playing football yeah. and then they're, they're just left, yeah. Mm. One thing I'd like to talk about, if it's all right, mate, because I've known someone close to me uh, commit suicide before and I wanted to talk about Gary Speed. Obviously not what happened, but like... It's, it's harder than a normal death in a way because it's the questions and all of that and how did you deal with losing such a good friend? Um, no, it was very difficult because I was with him um, the day before he did it mm -hmm. and everything seemed fine. We were He was arranging to come to my foundation ball uh, a day earlier so he'd go and play golf and he was going to stay at my house and this was all on this Saturday. Uh, he'd, he had done... Um, football focus in the morning and I'd spoke to him in the mm -hmm. range and then and I was doing match of the day on the evening so we sat together and discussing all of that <clears throat> he told me he was going out on the night time um, I get home at do match of the day I get home at 3 o'clock in the morning um, turn my phone onto silent and then uh, I wake up at I don't know 9 o'clock and I have 20 or 25 missed calls off um off a good friend of his mm -hmm. uh, and I just thought because I'm A, Alan I'm always first in someone's phone and I thought someone had bum dialed me so I rang him up and I said to him you pissed again last night you've been ringing me 20 times and that that's when he delivered the the, uh, the news to me that uh, you're not going to believe this is um, Speedo's done what he did and then it's incredible yeah it was tough it was hard 
as a as a fan of Spiro because he was one of the favourites of the club. Um, watching you go into the pitch with the Suns, um, I had a lot of respect for you for doing that. Like because obviously those lads are feeling the way they're feeling and you're standing with them. Um, you know, I don't know because I know you've had experience with death before, but like someone who's your age, it's it's such no, a different just, kind was, of death. Yeah, it was uh, it was just so hard to take. I mean. Hard for me, but you can imagine the pain his his family went mm-hmm. through, and the and the, the two boys, and his uh, and his missus, and his mum and dad, sister. So no, it was it was it was a tough time, very difficult. Uh, we we got on great. We we used to go on a golfing holiday every year. Um, myself, Speedo, Shea Given, mm-hmm. uh, Steve Harper, Terry McDermott. Mm. Uh, so we got we were we were great friends and it was it was just a complete and utter shock. It was just incredible. Couldn't uh, couldn't believe it. Mm-hmm. Um, no, it was it was a it was a tough time. Yeah, tough. You're now doing um, a documentary, I think, on uh, is it concussions and mental health d- and d- stuff. D- d- is there a link um, between heading a football and dementia? Mm-hmm. Because uh, when you look around at the, the guys who have who are suffering from it and who have suffered from it the numbers seem extremely high to the general public um, and we're seeing more and more uh, we saw it in America I watched the film Concussion yeah. and that's how I sort of got into it with memory loss I haven't got a great memory anyway, anyway never had mm. and I just thought it struck with me that uh, that a lot of the um, more than half of the 66 World Cup winning squad um, had or suffering from it Jesus so I just thought the numbers are and there's something not quite right here. Um, so I went to uh, to the BBC and asked them if we could look into it more. And then we have been. So we, we're actually coming to the end. We've done our last bit of filming now. We've just got to do some voiceovers. And then that uh, the documentary is coming out in um, early to mid-November. It's, I'm really interested to say this because I know obviously fighters especially suffer from a lot of these things. And... Um, Chris Benoit, the WWE wrestler, they did analysis on his brain after he um, unfortunately killed his wife and himself. But yeah. they said he had the brain of like an 85 year old man mm-hmm. through all the headshots and everything that he'd taken. So, uh, like, it will be interesting because when you head the ball, sometimes mm-hmm. when you had a really hard case, yeah. you, you just, Jesus Christ, I'll not be doing that again. Um, well, Jeff Astle died, uh, and his his brain um, was was um, diagnosed with having um, CTE mm-hmm. which is an industrial disease yeah. and they said it was um, from heading a football that was in 2002-2003 um, so we go back and, and look at that and we actually examine the the, uh, the brain in the in the documentary and then we look at different players who are suffering who are suffering from it now and whether there is a, a link to actually heading it or not because they've, they've banned uh, heading football yeah. in America for under 11s yeah. because of that mm. uh, but it's, there's a lot more awareness in America though isn't there because obviously NFL is massive mm. uh, and um, I think just over there in general they're a lot more sort of health mm. and safety yeah. conscious yeah. do you after doing this documentary and sort of coming to the end of it do you feel in a similar way or do you sort of see it in the same sort of I can't, give you, I can't give you the results of what we've uh, of what we found yet because we have to uh, the, the programme is, is, is not, it's not out yet <laughs> Mid to it's mid early to mid November, yeah. Okay. Um, but it's a, it's it's been a, it's been an eye opener, been been really interesting mm. um, and difficult at times as well to see what uh, how how it affects 
as major you know, think about people, yourself but also their families as well yeah. what the families have to uh, have to go through so um, we hope that us doing the documentary will um, get the ball rolling to get people more people talking about it to start the research and, and what have you and then to find a definitive answer yeah because it's obviously something else that's close to you you've headed a ball a lot in your career well without, with, with, I I heading was a huge part of, of my game and I was taught to do it I was told to do it and yeah. um, used to practice it every single day sometimes heading 100, 150 balls down, yeah. at, uh, down at Southampton as a kid and it was a huge part of my game which is one of the reasons why I wanted to do the documentary mm-hmm. Have you thought about that though like as in I wonder if this is I'm going to have any issues because of this Absolutely yeah I, that's one of the reasons why, mm-hmm. I, uh, why I did it because as I said my memory's, uh, my memory's hopeless so I wanted to find out whether there was, there was any link there so Alright so we've got some Twitter questions for you just to finish off on um, and there are some ridiculous ones here no, that's, that's fine Ray Scott from Whitley Bay Barbers reckons he was your bodyguard is he full of shit yes he is full of shit we <laughs> 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 made me want to know that for like 20 years <laughs> I love it um, have you been to Whitley Bay? I've been to Whitley Bay, yeah. Don't need to. No, we're real. So funniest, um, funniest teammate to go on the piss with? Um, funniest teammate, can I think? Uh, I'd have to be Rob Lee. No, really? he's a good mate, yeah. isn't he? Yeah. Yeah, good lad, we had some good times. What about best golfing partner? What about uh, that? Best golfing partner? Who's the best golfer? Um, I don't know. Oh, no, best golfing partner. I don't know, but yeah, yeah. I'm going to say the best, uh, the best uh, round of golf that I've been part of was Shea Given turning up, um, still under the influence from the night before, mm-hmm. off um, off 18, and shooting 51 points. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Decent. With a shank off the first tee. <laughs> <laughs> Someone's asking, will Harry Kane break your record? He's got a chance. Barring injuries and whether he's going to stay at Tottenham or not, but he'll have a chance. He's in a good team as well. Whereas you, Newcastle, we sort of fluctuated, didn't we? But also injuries. I mean, if, if yeah. you go, if you go through out your career nowadays with the pace of the game mm. and the number of games without having one serious injury, then you're fortunate. So, I mean, I had three, so I had someone else's as mm. well. I think. Do people often ask you um, what you'd be like in nowadays Premier League? Yeah, I'd, I'd still be the same. Yeah. Harry Kane would have been the same twenty years ago. Yeah. Um, all, all the, if you're a goal scorer, you find a way. Yeah. Who annoys you most on match of the day? Who annoys me most on match of the day? Um, I'm not going to say righty because we just laugh all day with <laughs> uh, with righty. Who annoys me most? Martin Keown, same as he did when I was playing against him. Yeah, yeah. we met Martin Keown like on a shoot a while back, and like when he talks to you, everything's really sincere. Right? <laughs> He's sincere about absolutely. Uh, do you want to go for a sandwich? I had a great sandwich once. Like I've got to tell you about this. It feels sandwich, like he's right? a poem every time he talks to us. But yeah. I, I kind of like the sound of his voice. It's got soothing. He is quite soothing. You know yeah. what I mean? That, maybe that's why I fall asleep to match. <laughs> <laughs> um, Thoughts on Blackburn since um, Jack Walker's passing. Uh, Obviously, the Yankees have taken them over. Devastated to uh-huh. see them where where they are and and how they are at this uh, this moment in time. When you compare the club to when we won the Premier League to the club now, it's um, it's just incredible to to see what uh, mm-hmm. what's happened. Um, I just hope it changes for the for, for that area for the people because uh, I know what it means to uh, to the people at uh, 
who support the football yeah. club and it's a great football club but Blackburn fans still love you like they always they always dream of tweeting in a lot as well like. yeah I get uh, I, had, I had four great years there mm-hmm. and of course that's the only place where I won the uh, won my trophies mm-hmm. uh, the Premier League so at uh, great times it's yeah. still amazing to think you, you won a Premier League title with Blackburn like, no, yeah, amazing, when, yeah. when you say it it seems fairly surreal doesn't it mad and when we you have. compare that to where they are now it's, um, it's terrible to see it's a shame because they are a great club yeah. um, we had one lad ask would you swap the Premier League with Blackburn to have like an FA Cup with Newcastle oh that's unfair question that is um, <laughs> we all know the answer moving <laughs> on yeah. it's a tough one that is mm. uh, <laughs> yeah move on did you really chin Keith Gillespie yes <laughs> and he deserved it yeah. <laughs> I mean, and he agrees he deserved it really yeah. he, he seems that he's really opened up since uh, he got over a lot of the issues he had or whatever so yeah he was um, he was being a bit of a pain one night mm-hmm. repeatedly um, how do you chin someone sorry can I so no, I'm not asking for like technique this is, <laughs> we're going to teach him I mean, one I know how to punch my sleepy but uh, how do you chin someone it just seems really un, it seems like a weird thing turn to do. a phrase just a phrase yeah. okay so you didn't actually use the chin because no. it looks powerful no okay. caught him somewhere on the chin I think but I didn't chin him <laughs> uh, the best side you ever played in um, it would have been that 96 team that yeah. uh, Euro 96 yeah, yeah Euro 96 when you stepped out you must have got pretty confident no it was brilliant it? Yeah, it was it was great and and, and the 98 team um, mm. that way I mean we were unlucky against Argentina when Bex was sent off there were two great teams um, club wise I mean, it's difficult to say that one at Blackburn was incredible as I said to take on the big boys but when I came to Newcastle that, that team going forward with Ferdinand Ginola Beardsley Gillespie on, on one side again it was very much like the um, like the Blackburn team but that 96 team in, in the Euro Championships yeah. was pretty special yeah. uh, biggest setback you've had in your life if there's anything that stands out my three you. injuries yeah my three yeah, yeah kept me out for Probably missed yeah two and a half seasons, maybe three seasons of, uh, of football because of my injuries. Yeah, but you can't do anything about that, I suppose. Is there anyone from the Newcastle team currently who maybe one of the younger players who you look at and think he might make it? Like he might become one of the really good players in the Premier League. Not yet. Mm. Not yet. No, um, and that's been one of Newcastle's problems: is that the, the lack of um, talent of been able to bring through over the years yeah. their, their youth system has been non-existent really other yeah. than Steve, still in the job. it's anyone's guess Stephen Taylor Scholler I mean, other, <laughs> when you look at the, the lack of kids that have come through when you compare it to 30 years ago when all those players yeah. were coming through and it's incredible that um, the lack of talent and, and kids are still playing football so what's What's changed? Well, maybe a shift in emphasis as well. Though. Mm. But you were discovered at Southampton. So, like, you were, yeah, you it was totally different then because you could have a scouting system. Southampton could have a scouting uh-huh. system in Newcastle and could take players from Newcastle yeah. down to Southampton. Where of course that's very much that's different. Now. I can't do. What that. do you think of Mikel Marino? Because he's quite, quite yeah. A he's, had, he's, he's had uh, he's had a good start. Fans like him. Yeah. yeah. Um, good on the ball, tidy. Yeah, he's had a good start. Rafa clearly like he clearly, him, yeah. he's a bit of a Javi Alonso he's type done well, figure. Yeah. yeah. Um, last thing I just wanted to ask is how would you like to be remembered how would I that's a good question um, thank you I use it on every <laughs> it's my favourite uh, someone who worked hard who cared who gave a little bit back that's awesome uh, last thing I want to say is when I was 10 years old my mum bought us birthday tickets to go and see Newcastle queued up just like you described yeah. and um, 
I built this hope up my whole life of like when I go and see Newcastle Shearer's going to score and it was an <laughs> FA Cup game against Charlton Athletic and it was the most miserable match I think he'd only just signed yeah. and got the extra time it was 1-1 nothing and my mum my gets up at full time I'm like no no we'll go and play the half hour now we've got to stay free kick free kick yeah top corner at the stand I was in the John Hall yeah everything goes black because now I can't see anyone because everyone's too tall for us but uh, you made that memory and it's one of the happiest ones I've got in my life mate good. so thanks very much thank you appreciate very it very good thanks very much thank you thanks very much for coming along no problem Cheers. also thanks to Coral um, yeah. for sponsoring me and Alan Shearer yeah. <laughs> all the money fantastic <laughs> to be fair Elliot, Elliot and Simon put this one together yeah, so thank really, you very much really thanks to them. Awesome. if you want to bet with them our link is in the description below don't forget to like this video stay subscribed to the True Geordie YouTube channel and we'll see you later